The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week we spoke to the Gaskell Garden Project about the power of permaculture and food sovereignty. We also spoke about the mass protests in France, the activist assassinated by cops in Georgia's cop city, and the Tory government destroying the UK over trans rights and other news stories. But first, were political lesbians proto-turfs? Yeah, I think that we, um, I think, like, the presence of people just coming into queer spaces to manufacture absolutely, like, illogical discourses, uh, it's been there the whole time, right? And then, like, this is what I was saying about the, like, um, straight women, like, identifying as, like, political lesbians and then coming into, like, a lesbian space to be, like, lesbians can't like dick therefore you can't use dildos it's such a like and now we just call them tufts like i don't it's like i like i don't know we don't just call them tufts like now they like politically organize around hating trans people so it's not you know it's not a it's it's not just a name change they uh it's uh, it, it's like what's it what's it like it's like ramp, ramping up the brand to like uh taking it to a hundred uh, do a yeah, do a do a Hello. do a new a new hardcore launch because they've 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 uh, solidified <laughs> their brand principles. They're like, we know what's going on. You know what? It's like it's like Red Planet Year Two. They've uh, they've they've got it. They've hired their Conrad. They've got they've, they've, they've got the whole media strategy figured out. They've got Patreon. You know, they're Form pushing like hard all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we like could the... we could really do with like you know a big think tank with lots of money giving us lots of money in order to do what we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I agree for the most. Any part, big yeah. think tanks out there? Yeah, hey, it, what's up? And if we'll say if, anything, and we have <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Red underscore Planet. So if you want, we can do uh, at the end of every show like a, a thank you very much, George Soros and the Open Society <laughs> Foundation. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Our favorite sickos, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Rand Corporation, the, Martin, the Koch brothers. Um, like, thank you so much. Learn Liberty. Thank you, Raytheon, <laughs> for this incredible opportunity. <laughs> it's Red Planet. Oh my God! Welcome to Red Planet. It's the oh, we're live? of January. Oh, wow. Look out! We're live. It, quite good there, Sophie. How you threw us all for a loop when we said we got to speak about something that we're not speaking about before the show, but we still spoke about it anyway. That was good. What do you mean? Uh, Every cold open on Red Planet is organically the conversation yeah, yeah. we were having at the, right before recording. <laughs> oh, you're right. Actually. Conrad just put in a zone without telling us. That's without true. even counting us down and telling us when he's fading out the music. I That's love being true. a candid and organic, relatable person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's for real, uh, very poggers and bass. Um, we've got a great show for you lined up today. Um, we're starting it within the normal way. I'm leading. I'm taking the reins today because I wasn't here last week uh, because I was depressed. Uh, but what I want to know, what's going to make me less depressed, I know it's going to make me less depressed, is hearing what the most based thing Sophie did this week. Wow. Let me tell you about the most based thing I you did this week. You liked that, didn't you? uh yeah i think that's pretty good i you know yeah yeah well done taking the reins you don't usually do it it's um it was good 
It's like uh, when you receive a gift that you're like not a fan honestly. of, but you don't want to hurt the friend's feelings. Yeah, no, I love it. It was, it was fine. <laughs> I genuinely okay. was very impressed by Mule taking the reins. He oh, doesn't usually okay. do it. I don't. I'm normally a really I would, nice guy. I'll be real. I was editing something in the show notes, but I will now tell you the most based thing I did this week. It's pretty based. It doesn't help anyone but me, but that doesn't mean it's not based. Uh, I wrestled and struggled with the British trans healthcare system, such as it is uh, health care system. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I should be getting some health care, which is not the intended outcome of the system. Um, Mm -hmm. so this is one I'll, I'll probably like update this as a, this will be an, this will be part one. Okay. Part one of Sophie's very based healthcare time is I've made some progress and I should be getting onto the, uh, the pilot scheme that basically is like, the system how it's supposed to work like the system how it's supposed to work is dog shit but the system how it does work for everyone is like you're promised dog shit and then you wait like 15 years and then you die so i have gotten past that part and now there's the dog shit so (laughs) so i will update i will update with this yeah Yeah. maybe my my partner is on (laughs) Is on that dog shit, and uh, yeah, I can tell you, it really is dog shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, so shit. I've, I've, uh, I, I will say I've been like feeling like a badass hacker, sitting in my like leather trench coat, my sunglasses, fucking typing emails away, making phone calls to get onto the system. Um, like I, 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 not to imply that I've done anything untoward. I would obviously never do that. The law is the arbiter of morality, and um, I respect systems and their criteria, and I would never lie on a form to get life-saving medicine um but i have felt like a bit of a hacker going through and like you know like getting to the next stage of things and being like i'm in um but (laughs) but you know who's a cool hacker who uh actually has the fbi databases on his hard drive right now tim what was the most base thing you did this week well, I mean, I didn't release a TSA no-fly list on the <laughs> Pink website covered in kittens. That's pretty based. Um, That's pretty based. Yeah. That is, yeah, yeah. But no. Um, Wait, I, do you want to contextualize yeah. that? Or... <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, so uh, a, a young trans woman hacker um, hacked the TSA no-fly list, well, like, you know, found, um, I think it was like an unsecured database or something like that. Yeah, it fell off the back of a lorry. Yeah, yeah, on her, um, on her website, which looks like a 2003 GeoCities thing. It's like, it's like, it's very good because it's like, it's nailing that aesthetic, like intentionally. You is know, there like, music <laughs> when you when you show up? Is, is oh, I, don't know. Oh, I yeah. love that but, um, shit. It's very I good. Like the, so the title of the page is like, gifts. Her name Maya, like Maya blog, and it like they're just like slightly misaligned. Like it's just like yeah, it's got yeah. that oh, it's got that real crunchy it. web 1.0. I put the oh, link so in chat. So. Okay, check it out. <laughs> so um yeah, no, it's 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 really good. Um yeah, and just everything about it was like super <laughs> super funny. She's the pictures 23? and everything. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Like, 23 um, and nailing the aesthetic that she didn't even wasn't even alive for that's amazing she also she also posted a plushie uh, she also posted yeah, a picture yeah. of she's holding the plushie of like the weed cat from the new pokemon like in front of her <laughs> front laptop of like yeah, just yeah. like just like me and the cat are just enjoying the no fly list it's really good and um down the bottom of the um of her site she's got you know like you used to have i can't remember what 
we used to call it, but it's like all the little icons of all your friends' websites yeah. that you link to, mm-hmm. and it's all just like a cab anarchy now. <laughs> like I love, I love the extra ones like slimes now, slug cat. Yeah, um, yeah. piracy now yeah just really cool shit and the, i'm gonna make a website note to my cia <laughs> yeah i was about to say i'm gonna make a note to my cia handler which is obviously just conrad um if we can if we can get her on the show that would be base <gasps> yeah yeah it would, it would uh, yeah i like what like... chloe's um saying in the chat the th- whole thing about that um that tweet going around like this was sculpt- uh, sculpted by a 23-year-old. What's your excuse? And it has, like, this classical <laughs> marble sculpture. Yeah. So, yeah, well, you know, like, she... Yeah, <laughs> say, no, yeah now I, I do feel like an embarrassment and a failure now, I'll be real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, my actual-based thing this week wasn't yeah. as nearly as based, but um, I um I got the ebook of Brick by Brick from HR Press, which is the book from um, our guest last week um cradle community um, hell yeah so yeah so i started reading that um it's really interesting i haven't got too far into it but it's quite good and um yeah i think we will probably be talking about some of the stuff that is in there in future episodes and stuff there's definitely there's definitely some ways that i think we can apply some of um some of the stuff that they talk about into um yeah into online spaces and stuff so we'll go into that another time um but what about um Kira? What was the most basic thing you did this week? Huh. Uh can I have two things? Can I say two things? I mean if you if they're both just that based. They're both just it. so based. Uh well, yeah. one was immediately after the show that we did last week. So my mom was over and um she's like, How was your show? And I just, you know, she's not of my political perspective, like many of our parents aren't, but she's still very, very like she still is trying to connect with me where she'll try to like build a relationship oh, back yeah. up. And so like, I told her about transformative justice and like what, you know, versus restorative justice and like, and, and things like that. And I was talking to her about it and she like started learning. And then I'm like, you should check out Creole community. And she did. And now she's like, I want to get involved. I've got plenty of time. Like, can I? That is based. So I love it really, that. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really <laughs> cute. Um, so like who knows what goes with that but, but like for where that goes but like that was that was cool um and also it's always good to like recap what you just learned um yeah. after you learn it like you give it a little bit of time but then you recap it helps to like solidify in your head so oh yeah uh, that was good so the other base thing i did was just like uh just actually like pursuing um uh, you know touching base with friends and stuff uh i've been kind of going through stuff and like being able to connect with friends instead of hiding in a hole and just isolating myself and just like you know like just spiraling into the void I actually like reach out to people and they reach out to me and like it was really 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 nice and that's one of my goals for this year Neil you okay sorry I just thought I went to clap and then I just hit my fucking mic sorry (laughs) (laughs) you're so sweet um so it's one of my goals for this year is to try to like have friends like I actually have friends that actually like, you know, talk to them. And it, for me, I had like a couple of voice chats with people and it shares some DMs with people. And it was like a big deal for me. So like, I'm, I'm happy about that. So that was base as well. That fucking rocks. Yeah. yeah. So and, um, oh, yeah, I would like to know, Mule. Oh. What base thing did you do this week? Well, um, 
this is actually <clears throat> really, really cool for me because I want it because this not only is this a base thing that I did, but I should hope and I hope that this reinforces what Kira Chats has said a couple of times on the show in that I was looking after myself over the last two weeks because depression mm. and that is a radical act actually so yes yeah. it was based when you did it kira and it is based now when i'm doing it um yeah like you know i i have done a lot of base stuff last year and and what have you and um i think that what's happened is i just got like a lot of imposter syndrome and i i, I i'm making a new video at the moment and uh, you know, a couple of the, like, I think Sophie and Kara have both seen, like, a preview of it, and you'll probably agree with me when I say that, like, it's totally different to any other video that I've made before, like, it's all shot differently, it looks differently, it looks a lot better. Absolutely, yeah. And there's, like, a lot of me that says, you don't deserve to look like that on the internet, you don't deserve to look cool mm. and based, um, and it's been a mixture of, like, struggling with that, and also struggling with just seasonal depression in general. January sucks. I think everybody yeah. is in agreement with this. The weather is awful. Um, everything is awful. Like, you know, if you're self-employed, you got to do your taxes. I got to do my fucking taxes very soon. I hate that shit. Um, yeah, so it's just uh, not been great. But I've been not beating myself up over it. And I've been desperately mm. trying to remind myself that the only reason that I feel useless is because capitalism requires us to have a use, which is to do labor. And even though the labor I'm doing is for myself, it's part of that conditioning that is turning into a really bastardized version of self-hate, like self-criticism, mm. because it's not actually me <clears throat> criticizing me when I say I should be doing more, I should be doing more stuff. It's capitalism tricking me into telling me that I should be doing more stuff. Mm. So this is yes. why I like memorized the unemployment thing from Bewitching Revolution because we were playing through it and I knew it was oh, having a big impact again. on that. And I was like, I'm just going to commit this to memory because she <laughs> needs to hear this. Like, because she just like struggles with these feelings all the time. Like, do you want to hear it, Mule? I can, I can recite I do want to hear it. I do want to hear it. Yeah, I want to hear it too. Under capitalism, unemployment is treated as a, as a moral failing but there are always more unemployed than there are empty jobs. Therefore, to not seek work is a political act, not a moral failing. It demands a future where the absence of work brings leisure, not poverty. That actually it's segues, so good. That actually segues yeah. really well into like one of the stories we'll be talking about today. Um, <gasps> I don't know if we should jump right immediately yeah. into that right now. Okay. Let's uh, fucking do I, it. I know it's at the end of the list, but I think it segues perfectly in there. So, um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think I think the, I think the first thing I think the first thing in the news still is about demanding a future where the absence of work brings leisure, not poverty. So let's talk about right. France. Yeah, uh, I've said before yeah. on the show Which that way when you're going? <laughs> when you're <laughs> when you're researching for this show, like one of the easiest things you can do is just Google like France protests. Those, those motherfuckers are always is, up to like, something. Like they're yeah, just that's like literally what I did to. They love a good protest. <laughs> Um, anyway, so more than a million people have uh, marched in France amid strikes over a plan to raise retirement age. So potentially based plan to begin with. Uh, more than a million people have taken part in demonstrations across France as transport schools and refineries were hit by strikes in protest at Emmanuel Macron's unpopular plans to raise the retirement age by two years to 64. Um, 
And I don't know, Emmanuel Macron is such a fucking weird guy. Like, yeah. even besides just everything, like he's he's a neoliberal ghoul. He really embodies that that trade off when like neoliberalism claims to be all libertarian, but it's yeah, just yeah. massively authoritarian. He's also like, I don't know. I don't want to shame a guy for um, loving mature women, but he, his <laughs> his wife is like thirty years older than him or something, yeah. um, which like. I guess it's just it's just always painful when you see something that you'd be like, good for you, but it's in the ruling class, and you're just like, oh, you yeah, motherfuckers yeah. can just can just do what you fucking want. Yeah, yeah, um, well, let's not forget that when you know um, women go for older men in that regard, if someone is like a lot older than them, sometimes they get called a gold digger. Sometimes they get they get accused of exploiting <laughs> people. Why right. should we not do that to Macron? Why should we not accuse him of being a gold digger? What if she's got a lot of money and he wants that when she dies and doesn't actually live? Sassy. So, okay. All right. I, listen, I'm so sassing it out. Plus rule on Macron. Yeah, that's right. So, um, uh, anyway, so uh, mommy lover Emmanuel Macron's unpopular plan to raise the base. retirement age by two. It is base. That's the thing. I'm like, no, yeah, yeah. they always say that thing it about is. like Ronald Reagan called his wife mommy, and I was like, that's base though. I can't hate that. Um, <laughs> uh, glass houses. Anyway, um, the interior. So he's got this, such a cool plan to raise the retirement age by two years to make everyone work mm. themselves to death. Um, but maybe he just likes when when his older women are also girl bosses. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, inter- the Interior it's Ministry like- said 1.12 million people protested nationwide on Thursday, with 80,000 taking part in the biggest rally in Paris. Trade unions said the figure was even higher. I, I can't imagine that. Wow, the, the government downplaying the figure of a union strike march? Whoa. That's so strange. Why would they do that? It's almost like they're at war. It's all, it's like the state exists mm. to mediate class tensions and fear of the ruling class. So weird. Anyway, uh, many primary schools closed for the day. Authorities estimated 40% of primary teachers and more than 30% of secondary teachers went, went on strike. Unions said participation was higher at 70% in primary schools. The 24-hour strike and protests in 200 towns and cities are the first big test for Macron since his re-election against far-right rival Marine Le Pen last spring. Um, it's also worth noting that Le Pen, who gets a lot of attention in the media, like uh, people are like, well, this is like France's Trump or whatever. Um, the Trump comparison is interesting because there is actually like um, a third candidate besides Macron and Le Pen who has a lot more way further left policies who Macron used like media influence and his buddies in the establishment media to like crowd out and make sure that no one would ever vote for him. We've never like, seen that before. Would, it, right. So it's an interesting <laughs> like comparison that like that like they would much rather have their like milk toast uh, dickhead establishment figure run against a terrifying fascist so that so that the liberals can be scared of the fascist and have to vote for this one. How interesting. Um, anyway, uh, Macron has made the pensions issue a marker of his, sorry, I, every time I think of Macron, I just think of the fucking announcement he did in like, you remember when he was in like a gold room, like he, like there were people protesting in the streets over the oil prices and he just, uh, and he just like did an announcement like from like a fully gold room, like fucking like in a, in a, in a country guy. that is like known for guillotining the fucking rich, it's like real fucking power move to sit in a <laughs> yeah. gold room. All the, yeah. all the, um, I am sure this stuff. will go well for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh Mule found it. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, 
Anyway, uh, Macron has made the pensions what? issue a marker of his aim to transform France and overhaul its social model of the wealth uh, and welfare system. He insists he will deliver a, the, uh, his key election pledge to change the French pension system, raising the retirement age for most people from 60 uh, to 64 from 62 and increasing the years of contributions required mm. for a full pension. Very yeah. cool, my guy. Really nice how you've worked until you were 64 and then you were able to make an informed decision for everyone else. Mm. On your experience of being 64 and still in work, opinion <laughs> polls have shown most French people oppose these proposals. I am shocked and view them as unjust, even if many agree with a need for change. The main yeah. question for Macron and the government is whether trade unions who join together in a rare and historic united front for uh, the 24-hour strike will harness public anger into broader, so- into broader social protest movement and continue in industrial action. Some high school students blockaded uh, uh, lycée on Thursday morning as the government fears uh, young people in schools and universities could lead their own pro- protests, and they should. That would be fucking based. That would be uh, so based. Uh, Veronique, 61, a teacher at a high school in the south of Paris, said, teaching is physically and mentally tiring. Our salaries have effectively shrunk due to inflation, and now we worry we'll get old and ill before we're able to stop yeah. work. Yeah, fucking exactly. Yeah, fucking yeah. precisely. It's, um, um, yeah. it's interesting because, like, um, you know, like, I, I've seen people say like, oh, it's from 62 to 64. Like that's only, that's only two years, right? Like that's two years or whatever. But like, that's so big. Like when you think about it, I mean, well, when it adds up for everyone in total, it's like, okay, those are two more years that those people are expected to be, um, you know, like working, paying taxes and all this kind of stuff. That's two more years that, the government gets to hold on to the money that would come out to the pension. So they're sitting, obviously, you know, like the government will sit on this money, invest it, you know, like, like in New Zealand, they like fucking trade it. Like it's fucking, you know, like, um, you know, like in stocks and stuff like that. Um, But when you add it up, it's in the story right on the bottom. It's like, and also extending the period here too by the way we when when the financial crash hit in the uk and we had like northern rock for instance and other big chains like of of banks like disappearing like pension like yeah pensions disappearing was a huge thing because they had trading the gambling with the money yeah 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 but um so yeah and obviously the other two years you're still paying into your pension fund over that time as well so um it is ends up being about what is it it's in pounds, it's fifteen point five billion per year, and in euros, it's seventeen point seven billion. So that's and they're wanting to do that so they can eventually make the system kind of like, you know, like their system break even. And um, yeah. yeah, it's what it's like this like ridiculous thing where it's kind of like, um, you know, like under under a you know a socialist system or whatever, like these things would exist to like not for, you know, to break even or to make pot profit or anything like that. They would exist yeah. for the benefit of the people or whatever. But um, yeah, you know, like this is them kind of like uh, treating it like a business under the current economic system or whatever. But um, yeah, there's like, there's a million other ways that governments can make money from all these kind of things. Um, but isn't it funny that it, they always, they always choose the way to recruit, recoup money that, um that puts the puts the harm onto the working class you know like yeah. um yeah like with inflation like, and they think that like austerity will be the solution to inflation and it's like yeah. if you if you raise like the tax on the richest by this much i'm not even yeah. i'm not even being a, yeah, a radical yeah, yeah. commie with this one this much it would solve the whole problem yeah yeah absolutely and it's happening in so many of these stories that we've been covering over the last like 
you know, year or so of, um, you know, the cost of living crisis. It's happening over here at the moment, like where our government has um, like engineered a recession, um, Mm. you know, which they've been very open about. And it's like the other, you know, like a lot of economists have been talking about it and it's like, well, okay. The other thing was that you could tax corporate profits, like even just a little bit more, you know, and it's like, no, we can't do that. We absolutely yeah. cannot do that. Um, so, yeah, so sucks to be us, I guess. Speaking um, of France, I did just, this is quite scat, scat, uh, scatterbrained, but I, uh, I have a suggestion that I want to say on air for a Red Planet viewing in the Discord. Uh, there's a fantastic French film called Athena, and it's incredibly Ooh, based. This. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just basically like this housing project, like this big, ruthless housing project, which is like essentially the the residents turn it into a fortress because they're because they are like fighting the state and it's just open oh, yeah. class warfare against the state like the the opening of the movie is them busting into a police station and just wrecking the place oh, up yeah. and like getting everyone's arrest records and just like burning them <laughs> and then like and, like here's, here's the thing if, if any of this were happening in the uk it would not be based because that would be against the law but i don't know the law in france so all of this is incredibly yeah, I mean- based I'm just assuming um, that everyone is um, acting, you know, like in accordance with the law. Um, yeah, I mean, I assume yeah. I just, I'm not a French legal expert. You're expecting too much of me. But like they it's just like it's just like this working class <laughs> community in the in the like housing project just going to like open yeah. warfare against the police. Because like they because like the kind of leader of it, like his little brother's just been killed by the cops. And then it just yeah. like it basically just sparks nationwide protest is uh, like revolution really is like. The plot of the film it's a very fucking based film we should check it out um it would be good i would enjoy that i just yeah. also remembered a, a, a piece of news that we don't have in the in the rotation but maybe tim and i we could share about this for a sec are done sure. resigned what's, oh yeah, what's yeah the deal with that tim um so she just a couple of days ago out of nowhere said that she was going to resign by february the 7th uh-huh. um there was no like i mean there was like a couple shoe-ins that people had they were like okay it's probably going to be like grant robertson michael wood yeah. or chris hipkins um yeah grant robertson was like the one that i probably called to do it because he's kind of like known as like the economy guy and you know they've been for the last few years labor have been doing that kind of like well i mean they they have been doing the economy thing, but one of the kind of con- the conservative criticism of them is that, mm. oh no, the COVID response has ruined our economy, you know? So I figured they were going to get Grant Robertson in to kind of, yeah, be the money guy or whatever, but he actually um, stepped, uh, he, um, he like was said that he wasn't interested. Um, he withdrew his nomination. And but a lot of people are just, saying that it's going to, it's going to like go to national in the general election then. Cause like, it could. So the, mm-hmm. the, the tactic of um, a leader stepping down before an election is like a common thing in kind of electoral politics where it's like, instead of stepping down at the election, you step down a little bit uh, beforehand so that people get time to know the new leader. Because right. if you introduce a new leader at the time of the election, you always lose because everyone's like, I don't yeah, know this guy, but I'll vote more for More or less the what the Tories have been doing for the yeah, last yeah, yeah. like decade, yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So they've got Chris Hipkins in, who's kind of a munter. Um, I mean, all Labour MPs are munters, but um, like his the most recent thing he was in the media for was defending um cops for just like for no reason at all, just filming young um <clears throat> Maori and Pacifica children mm. because 
it's statistically likely that they may commit a crime at some point so it's good to have them on record you know like fully just pre-criming them Ooh, you know like just profiling hell. them being like okay these 14 and 15 year olds might do a crime one day so we should have you know like we should have photos and videos of them which is fucking hey man I've, yeah. I've i've taken the coolest technological thing from hit film minority report oh the the screens where you gesture around and it flies around like a hologram no man yeah, the other yeah technological yeah. thing yeah, you know yeah, which exactly. one the coolest one the best yeah. thing uh did you see the bbc article that was like uh can women really have it all like announcing resigning is like i want to i I would like to take the opportunity in future red planet news sections to highlight any men who have quit anything and ask the question can men have it all (laughs) so people people were saying like um you know like and there were these articles coming out like being like a male a man leader would never have stepped down but um so john who was in charge down in the exact same way and um he did the same thing and so people <sighs> then criticized they were like well they wouldn't do it like she did um you know like they, womanly do it like, like being well, a woman they wouldn't, like, they wouldn't say it the way that she did or whatever so but ridiculous. her speech like legitimately directly quoted him and said the exact oh same God. thing that he said which was like kind of like a funny troll from her part but it was like um yeah she said like there's no gas left in the tank or whatever which is just right, what he said and right, it's like a right. very like you know kiwi expression or whatever but um yeah yeah it's just it's hilarious and i mean it's like i don't um you know i'm not a labor fan i um i think that um you know like just like i don't think that um the labor party in general or you know or the national party or anything um are very like you know like i have a, a, a huge laundry list of problems with them or whatever like that yeah but um yeah the um the criticism and the kind of like i guess like the harassment that she has got has been more than any other pre- uh, prime minister we've had they've even had to say that um she is like they, you know, like how when uh, someone's been a prime minister or president or whatever, they kind of have like a ongoing security detail for a little while or whatever like that, and they're basically just like, yeah, like what we have to do for her is going to be like more than we've ever had to do for anyone in New Zealand because people are like, you know, like she, yeah, like just a wild amount of like death threats and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, um, in New Zealand, it's kind of like with our prime ministers and stuff, it's like you know where they live, you know, like it's a small country, like, you know, like you can just like go to their neighborhood and like, you know, like obviously it's you yeah. know, like, you can't just like walk up to their door or whatever like that, but it's, it would be like super dangerous for someone who had someone who was well-known and recognizable. If people were wanting to hurt them, it would be pretty easy to do it. So, um, yeah. So, um, I think that uh... it's, it's pretty bullshit with stuff that she's, been um, yeah had to go through but also like she has pulled some bullshit herself so like i, yeah. I am like sympathetic but at the same time i'm kind of like it's it's yeah it's politics That's, baby it's pretty much where i landed up on it mm. um it may it might be worth a, a longer look at our done sometime but in the meantime mule has to tell us some really sad news that sucks i do this sucks um you might have heard of Cop City in Atlanta, Georgia, or mm. it's just outside of Atlanta, uh, Georgia. In fact, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, is it? Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia? I might be yep. wrong, but anyway, yeah, it's it in is, Georgia. Yeah. It's near Atlanta, right? Um, and Cop City is basically a massive training facility that they're wanting yeah. to to build, or they they have built it. Um, and it's essentially, a, when they say training facility, 
we know the kind of things that cops are going to be training for here, folks. Yeah, if yeah. you watch Red Planet, you know that we talk a lot about, uh, you know, the quote-unquote migrant crisis, the, the, the fall of capitalism under the... Um, you know, uh, crushing pressure of climate change. And they're basically teaching people to kill people in there. That's what they're going to be teaching them. Uh, that's what they're going to be training for. And uh, they already killed someone. They killed Manuel Esteban Paez Terán. Um, this guy was a young activist and, you know, was just basically camping in tree houses along with his comrades all around Cop City. And um, it's it's... It's just really shit because this, how, like, you can't, no one getting killed by police is good. Well, obviously, we all know that. But, like, what threat was this person to anyone, you know? Like, what threat was he to anything in terms of, like, breaking the actual law in, in the U.S.? Um, but, of course, we know that cops are there to protect the state. They're there to protect the state's interest, and the state's interest is cops. So, you know, naturally, someone... Uh, you know, trying to prevent, uh, you know, cops from, from uh, I don't know, training stuff, uh, training and stuff is, is going to be a target uh, for the state. Um, so it says here that uh, the police apparently found Manuel, found doubt uh, in a tent in the South River Forest, southeast of Atlanta, taking part in a protest now in its second year. Oh, sorry, I've missed something here. Oh, taking part in a protest now in its second year against plans to build a 90 million police and fire department training facility on land and separately a film studio uh, yeah. where, where I imagine they'll be filming copaganda or something. Yeah, a new Steven Seagal copaganda film studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, officials say Manuel shot first at a state trooper without warning officials and an officer or officer's return. Fact. Yeah, the, but it's officials funny. also claim that he yelled McClunky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how officials just say that people said things. And if you are a person with a mouth, you could say anything, can't you? Um, but they have produced no evidence for the claim. And the trooper was described as stable and in hospital on Thursday. Uh, the GBI, which operates under Republican Governor uh, Brian Kemp's orders, has released scant information. And on Thursday night told The Guardian that no body cam footage of the shooting exists. Funny that, isn't it, Chad? Uh-huh. At That's least strange. Half- yeah, it's odd. Just odd that that isn't there. Um, at least half a dozen other protesters who were in the forest at the time have communicated to other activists that one single series of shots could be heard. They believe the state trooper could have been shot by another officer or by his own firearm. Mm. <clears throat> um, it wasn't like it a wouldn't be the first time, and then no. return fire or anything like that. It was like one series of yeah, 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 yeah mm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the residents in neighborhoods around the forest are black and municipal planning has neglected the area for decades. The plans to preserve the forest and make it a historical public amenity were adopted in 2017 as part of Atlanta's city charter. So, yeah, I, yeah, this is not just stop cop city in terms of like stop yeah. cops, which is a great mm-hmm. cause, but it's also protect the fucking forest, man. Like, yeah. you know, the, yeah. this is this is an area of natural beauty. Um, you know, we're going through a climate crisis yeah. at the moment. People in places like, uh, you know, Georgia, absolutely feel this uh you know everywhere you know every single kind of state that's just like you know has bad weather in general sort of like extreme weather is seeing that amplified uh, you know by a million so of course it's also just a space that like a massively impoverished community get to like enjoy a natural space and they want to just fucking tear it down to build a theme park for fucking cops to practice murdering people in right exactly yeah 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 yeah, exactly um, 
Um, so yeah, what else we got here? Uh, most of the residents, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Atlanta City Council wound up approving the training center, and that's what's led to the to the protests. Uh, a series of editorials and news stories lambasting the activists began in the Atlanta Journal Constitution, the area's largest daily paper. At least a dozen articles in the last year plus failed to mention that Alex Taylor, the CEO of the paper's owner, Cox Enterprises, was also raising funds on behalf of the Atlanta Police Foundation, the main agency behind mm. the training center. Uh-huh. What a coincidence. Uh-huh. Isn't it yeah. funny how that happened and it's definitely yeah. not related whatsoever what are you talking about chat they definitely not to this next point like I, I think this might be unrelated uh, this next point is absolutely unrelated um it says at some point kemp and other civic leaders began referring to the protesters as terrorists in response to acts of vandalism, literally vandalism, uh, yeah. such as burning construction vehicles or spray painting corporate offices linked to the project. That's like, the thing, right? It's like, yeah, and it's like, as soon as they become like terrorists or whatever, it's like, you know, it's permissible to do just like whatever, right? Like, this is it. This is yeah, it. Yeah. This is this is where so you become this is something the wretched, that- right? Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, something yeah. that they that uh, people people don't know about. But like after the the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, the expansion of the security state in America, yeah. like people think that it was just targeting Muslims because there was this massive yeah. kind of Islamophobia, yeah. but it wasn't. Green like climate activists were enemy literally number fucking one, and like. Yeah. Cops tailing and surveilling and killing climate activists has been like a massive thing in the last 20 years because they know the climate crisis is the shit that people are like going to be the most riled up about. And it's going to cause a fucking revolution in their country. They know it's going to happen. Sorry, I'm... No, no, no. We got some some reports and news. (laughs) No, no, no. Honestly, Sophie, I think that's really relevant because one of the sources for this information is The Guardian. The Guardian can be fucking annoying at the best of times. Um, But relating to what you just said, Sophie, The Guardian is claiming that this is the only instance of environmental activists being killed in the US. And it's like, no, no, it isn't. Like, what are you on about? Well, that was like what I thought, right? It's like, is this like, so... On is that a like a on the books kind of thing? Like you know, like I imagine yeah. that it's like I imagine that it's happened and they'll just be like, oh no, that was you know, like this one, they'll be like, that wasn't he had an fentanyl. killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'll just be like, uh, no, that was actually um he was killed because he attacked an officer. It has yeah. nothing to do with him being but you know, like uh, a, whatever. We you know? have a couple more stories still and uh our guest is on the way, so we should yes. anything oh, else, on. Mule, we gotta say about this no, one before we that's pretty much it, but don't forget, you know. This guy's name, Manuel Esteban Paez Terán. Rest in peace, uh, dude. Like, I do yeah, think yeah. this. I do think this note at the end is uh, worthwhile. Killings of environmental activists by the state are depressingly common in other countries like Brazil, Honduras, Nigeria. Said Woodhouse. Uh, Woodhouse is the. I've I've lost my place in the notes. Uh, but this has never happened in the U.S. It's just like, nah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, there's also a little bit here as well. Like, so yeah, they started calling them terrorists or whatever for spray mm. painting and shit. But um, since 14th of December, they've um, stepped up the raids on, you know, like the little encampment. And half a dozen of these protesters, these defenders, have been arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. You know, it's like not just that they're calling them terrorists, they're charging them with domestic terrorism. But defending um, the forest. Yeah, which is huge. Like that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's fucked up. Um, But anyway, the next one we've got here, um, the over in the UK, we've got, the Tory government about to destroy the UK over trans rights. So, um, based question wild. mark? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, okay. 
you know, like these, these transes are so powerful, right? Like, um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm not like super familiar with like that, the, the UK justice system, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it as I understand it. And, um, and I'll you fill can, you in if you get anything yeah, wrong. Okay. So Westminster, so Westminster is like your parliament, right? Yeah. Yes. UK yes. is a whole yes. parliament, English yeah, yeah. parliament. Yeah. 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 Westminster, so Westminster is used as metonymy for the government. Okay, yeah. Westminster is attempting to block the new law in Scotland that would make it easier for trans people to change their gender officially in the eyes of the government. So this is what we were talking about the other week with like the, you know, the self-ID yeah. thing. So yeah. And what's crucial Sunak, here is that like Westminster is as opposed to the Scottish Parliament who are supposed to be devolved, like Westminster yeah. is not supposed to tell Scotland what to do and Scotland yeah. passed the bill and now Westminster is like trying to block it. And it's like, that is just a violation of the basic agreement. Yeah, so that's like a condition yeah. of Scotland being part of the UK, right? Is that they're like, well, you know, we'll be part of the UK, but we're going to make our own laws and stuff, and yeah. you're not allowed to, you know, get in yeah. there. So, yeah. um, yeah, so uh, Rishi Sunak is bowed to pressure from rebel Tories who claim that the turf line of concerns for women and children's safety has merit, which we know it doesn't. Um, the UK Prime Minister has triggered Section 35, meaning that Westminster is now able to bar the new law drawing vast criticism from LGBTQIA plus organizations such as Stonewall, political pundits, and politicians alike. The biggest thing to come out of this is the defiance that Scotland have towards Westminster and the Union in general. The presence of the Scottish Parliament should mean devolved power in the Union for Scotland itself. But when English politicians have the right to block those laws, the only answer for Scotland for many is independence. So this is the thing, right? It's like if like what's the point in being part yes. of the whole union if yeah whenever they if they want to do something that then you know westminster just goes nah you know yeah. no, but so I mean, it's like for them it's the like UK what's, government, what's the, point? the uk government has an atrocious history with like regarding Scot scottish independence because like yeah uh nicola sturgeon th this is a brief thing nicola sturgeon was traveling to other countries to negotiate the possibility of trade between scotland and those countries and she well she wanted to do that and the uk prime minister at the time whichever fucking carousel of Tory ghoul, yeah. like garbage people it was, like uh, wouldn't let her have a security detail for her trip. And yeah. it's like, that's obviously like making the trip infeasible. So it's like, mm. they do whatever they can to like wrap yeah. up the possibility of Scottish independence. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so yeah, according to multiple news sources, the majority of Scottish people support independence now after this latest infraction on devolution rights. Independence for Scotland would likely mean the end of the UK as we know it in many ways, based, and would possibly inspire <laughs> Northern Ireland and Wales to secede from the unions themselves. Also and maybe based. even the North and London, who knows? <laughs> what, what, what was the um, Star Trek oh, thing? The that. Irish reunification? The Irish unification of 2024. It's on the way. It's literally oh, it's on the next, way. Yeah, like, it's coming happen. next year. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as they too have devolved parliaments and maybe seen that maybe seem to be able to be blocked from achieving the will of the people by Westminster. So the same thing yeah. for them. Like, why would they be part of the agreement if, you know, if they're just going to get pushed around? Yeah. So um, trans people and their allies showed up in force to show their fury at the latest decision all over the UK, in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Nottingham, and many other cities up and down the country. That is how all those now. words are said, Tim. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I love yeah, Nottingham. Right. Exactly how all favorite. of those words are said. So, um, yeah, this was cool. Like there was a there was a there was a protest. Like I, I don't know. I don't know if you're making fun of me or if I actually did that right. Like, no, you didn't get it right. You didn't there was a protest, like 
there was a protest like <laughs> across the street from Downing Street and like um I saw a little bit of it and like some friends of mine were there uh, um, and someone I know had a like no, no sorry I'm, I'm I'm mixing people up there, there was some there was someone there with a sign that just said like we're not dead yet you fucks um but like even like for incredibly spontaneous protests like there like the one that the one that was across from downing street was probably nearly as big or as big as like ones that i have spoken at and have been like planned for months in advance before like it was like people are fucking mad and like there's probably going to be a bunch more of them so this might be a new story that's coming up again next week or whatever because it's all very new Tim, right. I, I will uh, secede to that. I cannot pronounce that. You're <laughs> right. Right. I, right. I am wrong, right. and you were right. That's how Nottingham. <laughs> that's how Nottingham has always been pronounced. Actually, it's Wait, always... how did, Nottingham is that Nottingham? Like the Nottingham. sheriff of Nottingham. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not right. you don't even supposed to say the T's. It's just and it's Glasgow. Like an apostrophe. Yeah. <laughs> it's an apostrophe. Yeah. yeah. Not, Nottingham. No, there you go. Okay. There you go. Right, one more no, story. Five minutes. There's one more story. Let Kira tell us about the story. It's mine. Let Kira tell a story. Okay. Right now. Story. <laughs> right now, there are oh, mass right layoffs. Now? Yeah, right now, this very second, there are mass layoffs in the tech industry, uh, like like huge layoffs. So like Google, Amazon. Let me see. Google, Amazon, uh, Meta, Microsoft, and by the way, the the yeah. the company that that controls Google for like the hiring is I think called like Alphabet or something. So if you yeah. see that, if you see that, that yeah. means Google, um, Microsoft, Twitter, because you know Elon and shit. Um, yeah. Like a lot of companies. So you should know that there was like a big hiring bubble before, but now yeah. since 2022, they've been starting to like lay off people, and they just laid off a ton of people they just fired yeah. over fifty thousand people yeah from just four silicon of silicon valley's largest companies <laughs> yeah this is this like is especially crazy like i you know it, like i've i've worked in the tech industry i worked in the, like as a programmer for about six years and like you would think after the dot-com bubble that they would realize that like it's not re- like the tech industry is not recession proof and the internet does not exist like completely separate of the, the, the real tech world industry. it's crazy like it's so arrogant yeah like they, they're like I, no, no no that was that was those, those are those people we're different it's we're, like we're the future <laughs> shit shit is hard for people right now and these companies are shrinking like mm-hmm. like so many other companies but like i one of the, I don't know if anyone saw the video from like uh, Mark Zuckerberg announcing the layoffs at Meta or fucking Facebook, whatever. Um, and it was yeah. just like, it was, it's so obviously because he thought that like they could just expand forever and do whatever fucking bullshit in, in a VR universe. Gee, what will give him like, that idea? I wonder what will that idea. Exactly, right? Because they've just had like investor money thrown at them their entire lives. Like it's- And it's... that's the entire model of capitalism is just endless growth <sighs> with no like, like awareness of how absurd that is. Like the absurdity yeah. of it. Anyways, Silicon um, Valley guys, honestly. Yeah, so uh, the layoffs are still seem to be- going on so get ready for more layoffs to continue um and there's this there's this tweet that i saw which was google new york uh uh uh, google uh new york city employees who arrived at the office early this morning stood in a line to test their badges if the light turned red it meant you have been laid off if green you were safe because they sent overnight an email to people oh by the way you're fired so if you like if you just showed up at work to work early you'd like you know, didn't do the above me on. I'm a, I'm a good employee. Check my email. It's yeah. Like 5am. Like, cause no one, like people don't do that. It's very oh. reasonable not to. You yeah. would have had to like wait in this line and just like, see, 
yeah, like, it's like a, yeah. It's how, like how, a like, chopping block. Wow, like I mean, I guess it'd be like embarrassing for a lot of people, right? It's like you got to find out what's up, but like, yeah, I also imagine yeah. it just kind of ending up being like this kind of like just Brad super ridiculous kind of like yeah you know like almost like squid game kind of moment where you're all yeah. just kind of like hey, yeah. like, like I, what are we doing? I heard about me? this yesterday from this girl i was hanging out with and i said to her like if i was in that line and my my pass went green i would just be looking at my colleagues and being like hey does anyone want to smash the fuck out of the offices right like <laughs> anyone oh, yeah, whose yeah. pass went red do you want in and do you want yeah, to yeah, just yeah. kick the shit out of like all the like you know like it's it's got to be I so radicalizing. Um, what we were yeah. saying earlier about the um the people that like were burning the arrest records and stuff like that, it would be amazing just to be like, hey, should we just go in and should we just like just you know like turn all the servers off or something? You know, just like <laughs> should we just go pulling, in and just pulling yeah. the comically big plug that is all of Google? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the... We're just By the way, start printing said... out the everyone's password uh, passwords folder. <laughs> <We're> just, <yeah. laughs> said that uh this yeah. is all hyperbole this is all just us us just just you know having yeah, fun, yeah, we don't you know, rabble kind of no we absolutely no. do not encourage any of this here at Red no Planet. one should um, break the law <laughs> no no uh, ever, one more ever. thing about one more thing about the story before we uh bring our guests on uh the implications for immigrants is really important here because nearly 80 percent of the laid off tech workers uh while they land new jobs within the three months beginning their search uh it's a really that's a really long time by the way some people never do and that's after like busting your ass in this market and that's a that's an estimation like we don't actually know yeah. what's going to happen right but three months is a long time for many tech workers not just for money but because a lot of them rely on uh having a job here so they can maintain yeah. their presence in the country and uh like a lot of these um workers are on h1b visas and they have a very short amount of time to be able to get another job and a lot of them establish like yeah. lives here they they never expected it's really that scary this, it's really scary. They have it's the same thing here. that happened with um, Twitter when like, Elon like got rid of everyone right. and stuff like that. It was so. Yeah. Many I think I feel like people were on Twitter like, "Please help me, my family. Like, we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna get kicked out of the country because fucking Elon decided he's like an he decided he's yeah. having like crisis. That's why. I think people can understand this relationship between like state and capital a bit better when it's like smaller states because sometimes America makes itself like completely invisible to people. But like there was a there are these weird posters that have been popping up around London that just say like. Have you been fired by Twitter or Google? Uh, move, move to Vilnius, like the capital of Lithuania. Like that's the poster, and it's got like a QR code to scan. And it's like, what's happening is that like the Lithuanian government are trying to put money into like a tech industry, and they're trying to like snatch up people who just lost their jobs in the UK. And like, but like that's exactly what had happened with like the the reason Silicon Valley exists is because like the American government was like, we want to you know put money through this into mm. like inflating this industry. Um, and yeah, uh, right. Is that listen? Cool. There is not. There is not uh, an intro to this uh, guest. So I've been. Ad- I'm going to ad lib one. Um, we always talk on Red Planet about how we need to be thinking past the boundaries of capitalism. We need to be thinking about what life will be like after uh, capitalism has eaten itself. And there are some people in this world who are already kind of just like living that life. And my good friend, Dan, from Greater Manchester Tenants Union, and also the Gaskell Garden Project, is one of those guys. And he's going to be talking to us today about basically what him and his organization do. Because food is one of the most important things to take back control of when it comes to um, 
get seizing power for the people. That's all I got. That's all I got. I did as I did as good as I can. There it is, Dan. How's it going? Welcome in, dude. <laughs> Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are you how's doing? Going? Nice to see you all. Thank you very much for having us. Um, You're very welcome. Why don't you start off by uh, introducing yourself uh, and telling us a little bit about Gaskell Garden Project? Absolutely. So my name's Daniel. I'm one of the founders of Gaskell Garden Project. I actually have another one of our directors here. This is Tommy. Uh, oh, um, hi, Tommy. <laughs> I, brought, I brought my own special guest onto the show. <laughs> uh, we, we actually live together, so it's quite a, a close-knit community. Um, <clears throat> so essentially what we are, um, we are a permaculture-based project we use that term kind of loosely uh, based in manchester northwest um we're comprised of three different elements we have uh we have three permaculture gardens which we run at the moment um local community growing spaces uh we have a pop-up page field cafe uh then we have a surplus food project and kind of all three of those things kind of interrelate to each other quite specifically really in a way um it's all kind of loosely based on the principles of um, earth care, people care and fair share. So you have the gardens are earth care, the, the cafe is the place for them to meet, that's the people care. Then the surplus is the, well, I suppose the, the fair and equal distribution of resource, uh, free and equal access to resources kind of like hits that kind of point with it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we are. Excellent. And in terms of um you know what it means by because there's so many questions to ask here because the, the way i introduced you is, was that yous are living outside of capitalism while capitalism still exists right and that's like yeah. me and you spoke about this uh down in person um kind of like we have to we have to start thinking about this as leftists. We really start have to th ha have to start thinking about. Okay, you know, we know that capitalism's bad. We know that there are things to do to make capitalism less painful for people who are currently in it. Um, but what is the next step? And so, in terms of your organization with um, the 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 surplus food project, that was the most sort of interesting thing to me. Because so, can I, can I just get this straight? Because I might have got this completely wrong, but like you just offer food anyway to people who need it, don't you? Like you have like a program for that or something, or, or is, have I got that wrong? No, no, kind of. I mean, because because we're kind of this like member led. Um, organization it can be quite chaotic and quite incoherent at times but you can have terms of the surplus food project as in the equal access to resource it's based we, we, we love principles of free we, we do everything in principles of free and um, the principles for the surplus project is um it's not really about the food now what we are not we're not a food poverty project it's a food waste project and that, that, that point's really important to get clear um people not you know, not being able to have food to eat, that, that that's a governmental problem. That, that, that shouldn't be happening. And in no kind of way do we ever see ourselves as um, in any way trying to, like, uh, keep that kind of movement going. In, instead, what it is, is that there's a huge amount of resource which has been wasted by the capitalist system. As how do we take that waste resource and turn it into something more useful for us, which gives us an opportunity to organise and to then challenge with it. So... The principles of the surplus project is we use the food to first of all create conversations the, the whole project is about creating conversations um the food is just the the, the mechanism in which we create those conversations through yeah. um the second principle is to create alternative pathways to food um so whatever that kind of be so you know kind of buying from supermarket or queuing up at a food bank or you know things like this like victorian style kind of models of uh, access to food uh, we're not very interested in that 
we're interested in people being able to find their own different kind of ways to it in the ways they want to do it. Um, mm. Then the third part has to be food sovereignty. There has to be the ability for people to access um, resources, whether it be food. Um, we consider resources to be connection, um, love, friendship, skills, education. These are all resources too. The food is just the, the, the mechanism in which we do it. So that's how it interrelates into the garden, you see. Okay. <laughs> this is already can, incredibly based. Yeah. Yeah, right. Really it's, cool. it's, it's really interesting. So you kind of for what we do, you can request you can request food from us, but there has to be kind of um some kind of collaboration. There has to be some kind of uh difference to it. So I mean at the moment, for example, we support uh Greater Manchester Tennis Union um with the the things we do in the community. So you're getting food to people. And you're attracting people in to train up on housing rights and have to challenge the housing system. But the attraction is you get to sit around and eat some food with it. Or um, traditionally, it's people seeking refuge who work with as well. But there's, there's no good just dropping them food to eat for a day. You know, it's not really necessarily food that they want to have. They want to have interaction. They want to come down and be in a space. They want to be able to organize themselves in that kind of way. Um, so, 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 yeah, yeah. Anyone can have the food, but, you know, you got to do it in a cool way. Hmm. I feel like there's a question that we should uh, get in early is like, if people don't know about the concept of permaculture, can you explain it and also explain how it relates to what you are doing? Well, I mean, I think the, the fun the fun thing for us about the term permaculture is that some people say to us, oh, you know, what does that mean? It, it's not very accessible to understand what it is. But actually, that's our greatest success is knowing, really knowing what we're doing. Because we've been able to kind of... Um, live in the capitalist city and do what we want but people don't really challenge us because it's quite a non-divisive term you know if we said we were an anti-capitalist or um communist organization or anarchist we wouldn't have been able to make the kind of headway that we have instead mm. we say we're permaculturists and no one knows what it is so they just leave us be <laughs> ah it's commie shit okay <laughs> We're doing this all from a gardening perspective, though. So our base kind of is within Platfields Park in Manchester. So our main garden site, the Spiral Garden, is within a community park that we all meet up at the weekends in, and we don't currently have any indoor space there. So we're all kind of, and so the more I get the permaculture aspect in, we all look at stuff in the garden. So we all met through the garden. That was the primary project initially, which is where the Gassel Garden project comes from. And we all met through an interest in permaculture, but also living in a city. So lacking a lot of access to green space, but also friends, people you wanted to be in the same networks as to like grow skills. But then to get to know about like a local group of people, all a similar age, all volunteer based in a local park that you can turn up and help volunteer and it's it's good at first it's just understanding the network between plants and growing and permaculture is trying to use everything in a symbiotic way like in nature's way how a forest grows and we're just trying to replicate that within a garden but then it makes you look at everything outside the garden differently and we were food producers so when we didn't have food to produce we were looking around seeing the waste that supermarkets were making and then the project developed with a surplus project that we got to a point when we we're unbagging vegetables at the supermarket to leave the plastic waste with them. So then we could go and distribute plastic free veg. I mean, without the, having to dispose of it. And then if any veg is gone off, we can take it to the compost at the garden. So we don't throw away anything and everything that we get. Our main priority is to distribute it then, which is another side to the surplus project. Like, how do you move the food? And you have to move it quickly. And some of the food isn't ideal. So to give you an idea, you could have 
really good stuff from like some meat sometimes or fresh vegetables and produce, but then you could have boxes of coleslaw and mashed potato and like processed foods that then aren't great to distribute out. And you have to, this has only come through like years of doing the project that you have like a hierarchy of food, I would say, and like bread, something that is just day to day, get given massive volumes of, so you don't take that as seriously or you don't take as much of it or you offer it out to other projects as well. So even when we've had a surplus of surplus, we've got in touch with other community groups, all one six one groups like that, and ask them, would they like to take the surplus that we've had or, oh, we can't do this supermarket. And again, a network which is created through the garden because it's our front as we'd say we are the gas like everyone knows us through the space and walking past it in the park and the growing and through doing the garden and having all the vegetables we all, we didn't sell the produce we only ever gave it to volunteers who grew it or we took it and we had our page field meal at a local that was local so, that was so, so what, what what would permaculture be then yeah, I mean, technically the term stands for permanent agriculture. So it's, um, it's essentially a process of food production, which is um, not just sustainable, but actually, um, you know, pro progressive. It, yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's all yeah. about creating design systems to close loop and to close waste. And I think what you're kind of getting at there is that you apply it in the garden, but you also apply it to community, you also apply it to politics, you also apply it to organizational skills as well. It's how everything interrelates together. We say that any activity that lets you take responsibility for your own existence is permaculture. And that's why we ah, have- Okay, very nice. Yeah. So we don't just get So the permaculture yeah. isn't just the food, the permaculture is the community and is the comrades and is the relationships you're building. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly based. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. But, but that's what makes it um, fundamentally different to just the community garden. You know, you go to the community garden, they're great. Community gardens are fantastic, I love them. But they can be quite isolated and they can be just kind of like very centered on this one kind of thing. It, you normally kind of just get, you attract people just from the garden. Whereas the joke of us, half of us don't even like gardening. You know, that's, that, that's, that's the joke. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm an immigration solicitor and you're a breakdown um, recovery van mechanic. You know, you, you just get attracted like all different kinds of people with yeah, you. Yeah. Because you can do anything as long as you abide by three kind of simple rules for us. You just respect each other, everyone's equal, and you have good communication. As long as you can abide by that, then mm. go nuts. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of um yeah, I like the community garden thing is is cool. Like we get that down here quite a lot, but they tend to be like um, you know, they kind of get taken over by people like a lot of kind of older people like you get like uh over here it's like it's almost like the garden itself can become like a tool of gentrification where it kind of becomes this thing that like certain people will take over and then push out other people and um mm -hmm. like there's definitely been absolutely times i felt that way and other people that i know have said that as well where it's like you know they thought when it was just a community garden coming in that it would be this like you know like they were thinking like it might be some kind of cool permaculture thing and then it just ends up being like um yeah like maybe like older people that have a little bit more time that are obsessed with gardening and they just it kind of becomes their garden you know and yeah just like, well it's okay, like a cool, community garden nice. near me but yeah. like i have no idea how i'd access it or anything and yeah, it's, yeah, all, exactly. it's all like, like yeah. fenced off and stuff and like you know it's it's nice to see people doing stuff but like yeah it's not I, I, it doesn't feel accessible like there's a fence around it and it's like yeah you, literally you have yeah. To chicken and like yeah like weird <laughs> shit like that you know so um yeah i love the idea of permaculture and like the idea of like yeah like um emulating i guess like natural ecosystems and stuff to kind of 
create things um yeah that are permanent i think is really amazing there's a lot of stuff like that down here um a lot of like a um, maori run kind of like you know it's like there's like down here there's like this thing where it's like they say where it's like you know people look at like uh you know like there's um maori run like food forests and like initiatives from like you know like on morai and stuff like that and people be like that's permaculture and they're like no this is what we've just always done you know like it's like it's yeah permaculture is just kind of like a a new name for just you know kind of just doing the thing or whatever Mm -hmm. which i think is really interesting and it's like not something that i personally care too much about like splitting hairs over but um yeah, I think that like the modern permaculture movement kind of does have like um, a huge overlap with a lot of kind of like traditional ideas over here and like our traditional ideas about um, like food, like the whole like food sovereignty is like a huge thing. Um, and even just the way of like, we want to create like a symbiotic kind of like um, relationship with the environment, whatever. Um yeah, and there's, there's, there's a couple of books. I'll, I'll dig up some books as well, and I'll link them in chat to people mm. as well, because I know there's some good Māori ones. But, um, yeah, no, That's, I really like that. I, I dig the vibe. I hadn't heard the term food sovereignty before, but I'm extremely into it. There is a book. <laughs> um, it's like, um, I can't remember. I'll find it, and I'll put it in chat. Um, it's And it's like, the English name is like a Māori food sovereignty handbook. And, um, yeah, Amazing. it's good. So I think I think like um you know the the term permaculture was coined by a man called Bill Mollison. He was Australian. It's kind of like seventies, and the kind of criticism of it is that people say, well, exactly what you say. Actually, most of this is common sense, and it's actually like quite like a, an ancient way of production or natural farming. Then you kind of realise, well, there's a Japanese farmer called Walker who's doing the natural farming principles, which pretty much stole that from. Then you go back to seventh century Chinese philosophy and Taoism, and you read that, you know, so it's all the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Seen something nice. The idea we haven't been, we probably haven't been sent into this world by supernatural being to farm it. We've probably come out of the earth the same way that a tree has or everything else has in that kind of way. So it's it's quite humbling. It's quite humbling kind of philosophy, really. And it's very non-dogmatic as well. I mean, I spoke to one of Bill Mollison's students in uh, Portugal. I went out to do a few workshops, and um, I asked him about this, and I said, you know, you're quite passionate using the term permaculture, but you know, should you be using it? And he says, well. The thing is, it's ancient knowledge, but what we have now is that we have modern day science and different equipment. So it's a combination of the old and new ideas combining together to create something um, uh, beneficial, I suppose. So yeah, that's kind of what it is. That rocks. And uh, in t- so yeah, I guess like I guess that's another another thing to sort of talk about now is is in terms of food sovereignty because I've like Sophie never heard the word. What springs to mind as soon as you say it is food empowerment. Like that's that's what comes to mind. I I, I think like okay, so currently we have to like get jobs that we hate in order to afford food to keep us alive in this world. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to fucking do that. Um, and how can people access food? Like you said, you, you, you offer people a way to access food differently. So talk us through the food sovereignty thing. What does food sovereignty mean to you and what's your mission with food sovereignty? Mm. Well, I think kind of like the point, the point kind of to us is that, you know, especially things like waste, you know, especially with like food waste. I mean, you can look at it from quite a few different angles. Um, if you look at it from like an environmentalist kind of point of view, you know, if you look at the, the statistics of this, you know, if food waste was a country, it'd be the world's biggest polluter. It's a, I think it's 45% of all food produced in the world is wasted. So that, that, that's almost half of everything that's being produced. And that, 
So that's creating a really interesting question because, you know, in terms capitalism is all based in scarcity, right? That, that That's how you like drive prices and capitalism. Capitalism loves scarcity. There's not very much of something. You charge a higher price for it. So the kind of like, you know, using the Taoist principles of, you know, yin yang, what's the opposite? What's the counterbalance to scarcity? It's surplus, all right? So what happens if you start flooding your community with resources? Will the conversations be different in that kind of way? So, you know, kind of first, you know, we'll start, you know, start bringing people resources to kind of like get them kind of equipped to kind of like do things for themselves. Then they start creating their own resources to kind of think, well, you know, are you going to still hold the same kind of opinions that you do if you're not fighting over stuff? It's really kind of interesting. But then you have to like think of the idea that what happens, say, if me, me and Tom aren't around, or let's say we go out and have too many drinks on a Saturday night, we don't want to get out of bed on the Sunday, you know, which was some, sometimes not very often, but sometimes happens. Then people can't access that food, so it's not good enough. And what you've got there is a power dynamic, and it's kind of that's still reminiscent of this like Victorian food bank kind of style that I have resources, you don't have resources. And but I'm going to give you the resource because I'm benevolent and we're kind. I'm going to give you the resource, but it's still in your control. You're right. Right. That's the thing that makes us kind of feel uncomfortable about it. So mm-hmm. although that we have access to the surface food and also have access to the production of the food, the idea is that if me and Tommy just disappeared tomorrow, would you still be able to access that without us? And that's kind of like a principle of empowerment for people, but it's also a safeguard for yourself as well, because it's a tremendous amount of pressure um, being in a position of responsibility where people, where you've created a system of dependence on yourself. I mean, that's never going to be healthy in any kind of dynamic. I mean, whether that be in a, a personal kind of a perspective or an organizational perspective as well, because otherwise what you'd be is a charity. And yeah, yeah. We're, we're a bit kind of like, we're big fans of Oscar Wilde. We're, we're not a big fan of charity models. There seems to be something a little bit strange about charities. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's got something to do with the fact that they have resources and they may or may not choose to share those resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did literally yeah. one of the first episodes of Red Planet we did was on charity versus mutual aid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Literally so I, like a year ago. <laughs> I think this, yeah, question, this, yeah, yeah. this question about food sovereignty is really important. I'd like to, sorry, I, um, because of my Bluetooth headphones, I go off to piss and I can still, I'm, I'm caught up. So um, I just wanted to like <laughs> blue for, add on to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to make sure that you can't hear me pissing. Um, uh, that's for the uh, red uh, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. If you want to hear me pissing. Um, so uh, I wanted to add to that, like um, just, just add to this discussion. Like, can we also talk about like the sustainability of this and the vision of mm. more people doing this? Because obviously our current food situation, like, as Mule said, right, you got to have a job, you got to have money. Like th- there are people who will give you food. There's a whole system figured out to get food in people's mouths, but it's all a capitalist system. And this is about doing something differently. Right. Yeah. So like, how, how do you envision like an alternative growing and how, and how sustainable can it be? I mean, what we, what we get asked quite a lot in, in, in our workshops, so we go around and do bits and bobs. It's like, we're all hell bent on this idea of small scale, local growing and what people can't come back to us and say but how can you possibly imagine to feed enough people this small scale growing you know you say well there's an increasing population you'll never have enough food for for this this and this but the first kind of response back to that is well you're wasting almost half of the food anyway so why don't you stop with that kind of first you know why don't you stop that kind of waste and 
The interesting thing to us really, in particular with the surplus project, is that we're really measuring our success by how obsolete we can make ourselves. So, you know, we don't want there to be waste coming from the supermarkets. That, that's not the ideal. We don't want that to continue. Um, in fact, we're making a documentary at the moment that the campaign is to try and replicate more of a French model where they actually make it a criminal offence for supermarkets to waste the food. That's kind of what we're, what we're kind of aiming for. But then you kind of think, well, then what do you do with food? And you're just going back to the supermarkets and buying it then again, aren't you? To thinking, well, hold on a minute. You know, how much can you produce yourself? And a lot of people don't really like the idea. It's not always the most popular kind of idea because you come to the realisation they're going to be eating a lot of cabbage and um, artichokes and uh, chard and things <laughs> like this. But, yeah, at the end of the day... That's, that's all great food, though. I don't get it. I know. I know, right? You think, well, I'm going to get my Jaffa cakes from. And, you know, this, this and this. But, you know, what you can at least do is um, take, out, take out a chunk of it, you know. And when we produce... I mean, the idea that we're doing, again, we're not producing food for people to have. We are producing food for ourselves first and foremost, but then we're creating food for ourselves with an idea to create more than we need. So we have the surplus. So the surplus would hopefully transition from surplus from supermarkets to surplus from our own uh, production of gardens. That's what we're kind of aiming for to try and do. And obviously, if you produce your own food, I mean, what we're talking about is is, is power and control. I mean, that, that's why we started doing it. Is the idea that you know. Gardening or food production is a so low cost. And really, that's probably why the idea why we started with that is because we didn't have any money. Uh, you're just seeing a bit of dirt and some seeds. And it's like, you know, a, you know, a, a two pound packet of seeds you can turn into, you know, 30 pumpkins. You think, oh, that's not really worth that much. Then you turn into pumpkin soup, you know, pays your fuel model, then you walk away with 300 pounds. And you think, hold on a minute, we've now got money which is in a member-led organization with an idea to spend on whatever we want. It's not coming from funders. So you can't get this idea that it's not just about the food, right? You're getting food. That's great. The food's not the valuable part. The valuable part is the interaction. It's the conversation and the creation of what we've got as other kind of resources. I mean, through the Patient Field Cafe, I mean, we've, we've, we've financed the creation of human rights organizations in Kinshasa and all this stuff. Traditionally, what's people seeking refuge? So, so what we kind of did was, is that um, whilst people were doing their asylum claims, they again uh, refused asylum claims because they've been criticized for not integrating with the community, you know, not, not demonstrating, you know, this X, Y, and Z, which is nonsense, yeah, because you're, you're displaced into somewhere where you have no access to resources, there's no community center, there's nowhere for you to go. Um, how are you supposed to learn language? How are you supposed to learn anything? Right, the, the game was rigged. So we thought it was a bit of a it was a bit of a fuck you to the Home Office actually, the Gas and Garden Project in the first instance. Fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah. They said they said, "Well, you're not integrating." We said, "All right, well, we'll create somewhere that you can come and meet and kind of do some stuff." And then because they didn't have any access to any kind of finances, I mean, if you um, if you had an ongoing asylum claim, you you're you get access to like a small bit of money per week. It used to be about thirty five pounds a week. It's a bit more about forty pounds a week. So how do you travel? How do you get buses around? How do you um, buy nicer food? How do you buy uh, diapers for your children? You know, all this kind of stuff. So the idea was people come down and you produce the food, which obviously has, you know, obvious benefits of, of, of gardening, you know, your exercise, your, your interaction, your you know, soil, you know, whatever. But then also you're creating this resource, which then, you know, in this case would be food. You cook it up into meals and then you're suddenly putting money into the hands of people who the government is saying they're not allowed to have money. Um, one, I thought was really funny. I thought, you know, all the newspapers and the government saying these people aren't supposed to be here. 
uh, they're not supposed to have resources. And um, we didn't quite agree with that. We, we've, we've, yeah, love you being here. Um, I don't quite agree with that um, either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever the newspaper said they couldn't have, we, we provide really. Um, and because, and because, you know, with, with the garden and it being, you know, the food production, we're untouchable. Um, even through the COVID pandemic, we even got a letter from the council saying we're key workers. And we was one. Oh, wow. Like, you know, weren't allowed to go to work, had to spend every day gardening, cycling our bikes around from bouquets of flowers to people. You know, it's like the thing is you have control. That's an interesting thing because you like you're talking about money a bit there. And I know a lot of people kind of think that if you can't um if you can't do something that's immediately totally free of capital, then it's you're not doing like a leftist project or a communist project. But like um and obviously, like, I, I mean, I agree with Mule's assessment of what you're doing, like that it's 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 pushing to live outside of capitalism and, and it's not kind of tainted in some way or whatever. Like, um, and I think that's when people kind of have that mentality, they're often missing, like, first of all, that like not all forms of trade or even trade with money are capitalism, but like they're, they're also missing a picture, which I think you're you're encapsulating really well with this thing about control, right? That like we need to get resources that currently exist within the infrastructure and the supply chains of capitalism and get those resources to be liberated, right? And if we're not, if if what you're doing is not like a capitalist enterprise in any sense, then it's then it is free from capitalism, even if yeah. there is like a, a, a thinking about re, a, like resource allocation and like using money even because it's like. Yeah, like I say, you're just getting stuff that is currently in the system, and suddenly it and the pe- the resources and the people can be outside the system. Well, the, the kind of the kind of joke is, you know, you go to the supermarket. The supermarket is like really keen these days to give you the waste food because you know, like Sainsbury's and Aldi on their websites and on the TV adverts. It's like, yeah, we're all about the community. You know, we sort the community out. So it's like, all right, we're gonna give the food. You know, the waste food to community organizations and it makes them feel really good. And, you know, the managers are sorted out, you know, they, they look at better promotions and things like that. So we play on that. We even play the stores off against each other and we say, you know, Dave down at Urban S gave us twice as much as you did last week. You know, he's getting the promotion. So they get, they think they can give, you know, the surplus to us. And then we'll turn that into whatever we want to turn that into, whether it be into the cafe or give it to the striking workers or uh, take it to uh, the refugee cafe or wherever it may be. But then, from there, you're then creating the resource in the way that you want it to be. So it starts off as food. Then you turn it into whatever it is that you kind of need. So whether that be finances or Skillshare or um, just, you know, away from isolation, whatever that may be. Um, then once you've kind of created that resource, then this is probably the most important part. Now that you have resource, you have a better ability to organize. And so we kind of see that quite a lot of times if you're trying to live so far outside of the capital system whilst also trying to challenge it, like where is your... Where is your power coming from? Because you know, you might not need money, but you probably need like a space to sit and meet in. I mean, you might go down to the squat buildings and things like that. That's great, but you might still be isolated away from the community you're trying to work in. I mean, we work alongside the squats like quite a lot, um, and quite a lot of stuff we do. Um, but the squats like they move, yeah. So you you'll temporarily have them in one community for you know if you're lucky a year, yeah. Then all of a sudden you're on the other side of Manchester, so it's kind of like it's quite temporary kind of nature to it. So it's not necessarily in the way that you want to do it. So once you get the organize, once you start organizing, and then that's when you challenge. And that's the kind of joke, the more food the supermarket gives us, the more power it gives us to challenge them. So <laughs> of it's course, closing yeah. the loop, yeah. What you're saying about spaces as well is really important. My, my partner was telling me the other day uh, something she'd read about third spaces, which is like, if 
there's like your home and there's where you're like supposed to be for productivity, right? Either school or work basically, right? And then then people need third spaces to exist in. And yeah. if those, like, we, we, we talk about all like going to the park or whatever and how important it is to have community centers or, or like this, this kind of stuff comes up when you're talking about like crime, like kids don't have somewhere to go. So they're just out on the street or whatever. But like, that's really important, not just for, people going away and not not being up to any mischief but like like you're saying like building something like giving people a third space is like so important you want to know something uh horrifying is that when i worked at starbucks as a barista they explicitly used the terminology third space to describe themselves and we're like we need to make this more of a third space for <sighs> yeah that's well that was exactly the thing i was like nat was reading about was like if pe- people are winding up where like their only third spaces they have to spend money to exist that's what we kind of the so the cafe space which is the people care aspect of it is it's a page feel model and about kind of nine years ago I was just kind of the, the sofa surfing around up in Newcastle. And um, a part of mine at the time lived in a house where uh, all of a sudden the guys uh, she lived with just came home with these crates and crates of food, yeah? Crates and crates, I don't know, 20 crates of potatoes, crates of carrots. And I was like, what's, oy, oy, what's going on? And they say, oh, we did a surplus food project. We have this um, this pop-up pay-as-you-feel cafe. And I'd never heard of it before. I never heard this model of pay-as-you-feel or, or pay-as-you-can as well. I became fascinated with it. And I was just like, why are you doing it in this way? And they said, well, it means that no one has to identify whether they have money or not money because it's not the money that's important. It's important yeah. to get everyone in the same room. And that's yeah. what came back down to Manchester and kind of thought, hold on, this is really interesting because when we're not kind of doing events, especially people seeking refuge, is that people, the people who are seeking refuge who are in the membership or organisation explicitly say, I don't be referred to as an asylum seeker. I don't be referred to as a refugee. Yeah. yeah. Especially at that time, there was such negative connotations, you know, in the newspapers, you know, as a Syrian crisis and things like this. So if you want to hold on a minute, if we're going to do like an event or, you know, like uh, we, we used to put on these big, these big um, kind of club night kind of things and all the cafes or whatever. And when someone comes to the door, how do you not charge them without them having to identify the fact that they shouldn't be charged? Oh, um, yeah. This kind of blew our minds because, you know, even if you have like people's names written down on the list, you know, you're still identifying them as being different. There's a small yeah. special on the list. Yeah, but of absolutely. Course, friends and family who weren't on the list, and how do you deal with that? Then yeah. you think, well, give someone like, a, like a, a token. You kind of think, oh, that's what we got given in schools when we couldn't afford Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. So we thought, you know, balls to it. Just make everything pay as you feel so anyone can just pay anything. There's a lot of pay-as-you-feel services in, like, queer community spaces. There's quite a well-known barber in in London that's, like, pay-as-you-feel. And, like, a lot of people will be like, well, if you, you know, if you can afford, like, a fancy haircut or whatever, just think of it like, you know, you're actually paying for your haircut and someone else's because, like, you know. Yeah. There was, um, for years, they just shut down during COVID, but in Melbourne there was, like, um, uh there was a group that ran three different restaurants um called lentil is anything and they were totally pay what you feel um they started in like yeah like the year 2000 or whatever and they they literally just shut down in covid which really sucked but um they were set up like one of them was set up in an old um it was like an abandoned convent that they got a cheap lease on and just set up this amazing space and it was it was like amazing um when i lived over there you would go and it was yeah, it was just like a donation box on the way in and you could put in whatever. And it was like this huge mix of people from, you know, all different kinds of backgrounds, communities and stuff. You'd be like, you know, they'd be like, sure, they'd be like 
refugee families and stuff and there'd be like young kind of like you know students and young punks and stuff like that but then there would also just be like normal families because it was you know it was good food you know and like people would just come and hang out and like um you know it didn't like just going there wasn't like oh that's where you go when you're poor or you're like you know like you're it's rent week and you don't have much, much money or anything like that it was like just like a cool place to go especially because it was like in this old convent on the grounds and there was like a nice garden and all this kind of thing. And it was just like a really cool place to go. And everyone from the community would be there, you know? And it was just like, there was no judgment or anything, you know, sometimes people would go in and, you know, throw a couple dollars in because that was all they could afford. And then, you know, like sometimes you'd come back and it was like the day after payday. So you put in a little bit, you know, extra or whatever, because, you know, just cause you could. And there's, yeah, like there was no, it's not like there was someone at the front like watching you putting money in the box or anything. It was just like you just walk down the hall, put the money in the box, and you go. And it was um yeah, really amazing space. They'd even have like, you know, like live musicians and stuff like that. It was just just like an amazing community vibe. Really sad that it's gone now. But um they did a lot of good in like 20 years. So yeah. You've got to think that like um, you know, how many spaces do you have where you'll have um, you know, <clears throat> punk students people seeking refuge, street homeless, business people, teachers, you know, all sitting in the same space. And you know, people say, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't really have anything to pay. And we say, well, no, the joke was, there's a trick just to get you to come and sit here and meet everyone else, you know, we don't really care about the money. You know, in, in, in terms of like reality, um, you know, I try to live outside the capitalist system the best that we can. There are some things which are food and our good intentions do not cover. Um, things like our rents and our energy bills and things like this. And having the patient feel model, the people kind of like a bit scared of it, I think, in, in a lot of ways. They kind of think, well, it's, it's just, if you're making a business model and you're making a uh, cash flow, like forecast, something like that, you know, accountants hate us. You know, they say, how much money are you going to make? And so, well, I don't know. It's meant to be. It drives them crazy. But somehow it does kind of balance itself out, because, you know, Kind of people with a bit of money find it a bit quirky, you know, and they come down, they like to kind of pay for it. I mean, we do free course meals. Um, people normally pay about five pounds for a free course meal. And let's face it, it's an organic vegetable that we just harvest the same day from half a mile down the road. Yeah, it's yeah. better quality food than you're going to get, you know, in, in most Literally restaurants. Literally anywhere, yeah. yeah Probably yeah. anywhere, right? And that's just really funny because it means that people can have this experience, you know, without feeling nervous. I mean, I do eat in restaurants by myself, but because uh, I'm a bit weird, but most people, you normally have to have at least one other person to go have dinner with, you know, but in these places, you feel cafes, you don't. Everyone yeah. just turns up and kind of gets involved. And if you can't pay, you know, we have a lot of regular people and they, they can't pay and they say, well, you know, do you want to help collect the food or do you want to help cook yeah. the food? Or, you know, you can clean some dish. They don't make anyone do anything, but there's an opportunity to then to join, you know, mm. and that, that's really heavily encouraged as well so you don't have to pay with money we even consider just going around saying nice things about us to be contributing you know if you say had a great time in that cafe down the road you should go you know that that is still cooperation and that's still incredibly valuable to have so yeah you, you, you just contribute whatever you can contribute you know and that fluctuates you know some, sometimes you can contribute more sometimes you contribute less but there's no there's no kind of an obligation on you there's no um you know you, you, there's no contract written with us you know Come and go as you please. We just hope it's a nice space that you want to be in. You know, yeah. Look, I trust it. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. For those interested, I did just find the the ebook that I was talking about early earlier, the Maori Food Sovereignty Handbook. It's um, called Te Mahi Mara Hua Parakore, a Maori Food Sovereignty Handbook. And reading the description, it's even more based than I remember. It's, um, <laughs> Climate change, peak oil, food security, rampant consumerism, struggle for Maori sovereignty. These issues can seem overwhelming for those of us who are primarily focused on the day-to-day task of caring for our whanau, which means family. This book makes explicit the connection between the global and local, between the political and the personal. Jessica Hutchings explains the political implications of the decisions that we make about growing and eating kai. Kai means food. Um, in this book, she encourages us to take control over the food security of our whanau, providing practical advice on how to grow kai in accordance with the kopapa of huaparakore. So kopapa means like the, um, like the, um, the, the kind of like the ideas, the kind of, you know, like the, um, the agenda of huaparakore, inspiring us with stories of huaparakore heroes and reassuring us that becoming a huaparakore gardener is a journey that anyone can embark on. So huaparakore is kind of like the food sovereignty kind of, thing but um yeah it's it seems pretty awesome it seems like it's mainly in english but does have um a little bit of maori in it but um i'm sure that it'll be easy for anyone to kind of you know to handle and just yeah um you can probably translate the few random words on google translate if you need to (laughs) but uh yeah i wanted to i wanted to touch on what you said Dan about um it's it's just about to leave me but I've saved it trust um so this because this is something that a lot of people talk about when it comes to sharing food cooking for each other um and I and you know building trust in community I think is is really radical in terms of the alienation that we suffer under capitalism and power, power structures right um so in terms of you you know, because that's, that's your whole project is about food and giving people food. And that's why I think that's, that's personally why I was really excited to get you on and and talk about this stuff. Cause it is one of those fundamental things where it's like, everybody needs food. We all need to heal as a, as a society. We all need to heal in in our various communities. Um, what's the best way we could do that? Oh, well, yeah. Having an organization that's based around food and, and cooking for people. Um, like one of the one of the, the, the like you see examples of this all over the uh, the imperial periphery. Like for example, in Uzbekistan, uh, they have like massive uh, tandoor ovens where they where they make oh, like yeah. one hundred and twenty thousand loaves of bread a day. Do you know what I mean? And all the wheat is grown like down the fucking road, and they mill it there mm. themselves, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and in India, they have similar stuff where like uh, uh, I think I don't I don't know if it's if it's similar in terms of like connected to any kind of permaculture but they certainly like feed people for free in massive uh old temples and stuff in certain uh-huh. old temples in india in certain places um and that's sort of like connected to the the sikhs um yeah yeah sort of, like, it's like one of the um like kind of the main things of their religion that it's like you know they yes feed anyone that comes and um yeah the um in um like the the krishna faith as well um it's the yeah. same thing that's uh lentil is anything the ones in melbourne they were um run by a sri lankan dude and that was like, that's mm-hmm. wild yeah. that's yeah. wild because so you're on about krishna you're not on about harry krishna oh i don't know i'm not sure what, yeah like, okay I'm no not... fair enough because yeah. so i was gonna say because obviously harry krishna is like the sort of white 
version, isn't it? But like, oh, yeah, no, it's like it's like super problematic. But it, it, oh. I don't know. Anyway, the the Harry Krishnas in Manchester, they actually do that. Dan, I don't know if you've ever been to the Harry Krishna Center in Wally Range, but they actually have like a free vegan feast every Sunday. Um, so you know, it's sort of like having these different um, avenues where people can come together. And not just eat together, but also trust together. Because having someone cook for you and it be free, it sort of says to you, well, I've got nothing to gain here. Do you know what I mean? I'm not put drugs in the food so I can like put you to sleep and kidnap you. I've not like, you know, I've not, like, <laughs> yeah. so you can die and, and stuff like this. It's like, no, we're actually, there's no ulterior motive here. Yeah. We're here to like show love and compassion for our fellow human in by doing food and uh yeah i just wonder how much of that is in your um you know ethos in, in the in the in the project yeah i mean this this the whole project only works on trust it only works on on cooperation there's nothing else really holding it together <laughs> other than the ethos and the good vibe you see and it yeah in, in that kind of respect you know it might be seen as quite fragile but actually it's probably more robust than, than a different kind of structure. And I think kind of in our experience, you know, especially first starting as well, you know, when you kind of knew you're starting off, I mean, there's only three of us to begin with, there's about 70 of us now. And, you know, there's a very, very different kind of thing. And to us, the way to do things is take the first steps. Because you, find, you tend to find a lot of times that people do want to do things, that people do want to organize, that people do want uh, something to be a bit different. But who's going to reach out first? And you kind of sit there sometimes, you think, oh, you know, why don't those people ever reach out to us? Or why do they never say hi? But in their heads, they're probably thinking the same thing. So Gasol Garden's quite, quite ballsy in that way. Is in, you know, we will kind of make those interactions. And I suppose we started off working with the Somalian community in Russia to begin with. And again, the, these, these, these guys were very focused around food as well. I mean, that, that, that's the, the main thing about food, as you kind of mentioned before, everyone kind of needs to have it. And if anyone says to me, oh, I don't eat food, I'm really suspicious. I mean, it, <laughs> they're, they're probably lying, right? <laughs> the Breatharians. Have you ever heard of Breatharians? They might be lying, yeah. It's like you go around to fucking Dracula's place with dinner and he's like, I don't <laughs> eat. And then pauses, food. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, there's something a bit shady about it, isn't there? yeah. Like, and in, and in terms of the human body, you know, it's a strange design because ideally you want to eat kind of like three times a day, which is actually like quite a lot. So my, my kind of point I'm making is that the food and the sharing of food, it transcends, it transcends culture, it transcends class, mm -hmm. it transcends everything. And that's why we use it as our main community organizing tool. Um, you can't really argue against it. And you're kind of starting off with the uh, Somalian community in the first instance. You know, they had the mm. cafe around the corner from the garden. And so we started off cooking with them. And I think kind of like to me it's all it's not about doing things necessarily well it's about doing things consistently um that's how you build the trust i mean obviously over the years we've, we've done things which are amazing but also things could have been done better but the fact is you know with with a garden as your central base you have this regularity there's like quite seasonal regularity and because it's not transient. The garden doesn't really move. It's like having a massive pet that you can't take with you anywhere. And <laughs> it, and, that, and that's kind of the big difference for us because like before we started the project, you know, we were quite transient. You know, we moved around different countries and different cities. And I think to us, it was the recognition of the fact that we actually need a bit of ground in ourselves and to be in one place for a little bit. To kind yeah. of be in that place has been quite easy to find and just building up those relationships with people. It, it takes time. 
And yeah. especially especially when you're doing things transculturally and that, you know, the, your, your, your strength is your diversity. And that, that, that's always going to be true of, of my, absolutely. And, my partner's always saying, like, trust is the only currency we have as comrades. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You have to take a few chances with this. And I think that's why we like the pay as you feel model as well. The pay as you feel model isn't to make money. The pay as you feel model is to give people the opportunity to contribute. And that's kind of where the empowerment comes in. When the food's free, yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's like, should I be taking this? Should I not be taking it? Is it of a lesser quality? Is there a uh, a hidden incentive? You know, yeah. with religious organisations, I won't talk too much about my problems with religious organisations. They're fine. Yeah. They're absolutely great. But, you know, if you're offering foods, then the next conversation is, you know, recruitment to recruitment to a strange sect of some bizarre organisation, then, then yeah, the food yeah. is... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a place for that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not no, mm. no, no problems with um, cults for my part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this conversation. I've got a few uh, problems with cults, but okay. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, regarding Dan's earlier statement on cults, you do not have to hand it to them. I understand <laughs> this one. I'm just trying to be diplomatic here. Um, but, <laughs> like, you kind of think if, if your food's always free to you, um, there's there's something there's something to do with your kind of self-esteem there. I mean, um, I used to, you know, before I start when I first started the project, um, I, I'd know where to live. You know, I was sleeping in parks or sleeping in cars and things like this. And I I, I had good friends, you know, a good family and things like that. But how many times do your friends buy you drinks at the bar and how many times do they buy you dinner? And you yeah, that, that feeling of not being able to contribute back in some kind of way. And you might, you know, you tidy the house every day and you, you cook the dinner for them. And you kind of, the dynamic of it just doesn't quite really feel the best dynamic you can have. So even just the ability just to kind of give a small amount back in, it means that I'm doing something good for you, but then I'm also going to show and reciprocate in some kind of way. And um, the same thing, uh, me, me and Tom used to live in the Rock the Rising Housing Co-op up in, up in Hume, and the same kind of model for housing cooperatives as well, is that membership, you pay a pound, and the, the, the pounds are symbolic. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't yeah. It's, it's not about the money, it's about you um, <clears throat> having some kind of um, exchange that kind of formalizes the relationship. And that's how you kind of build that trust as well. It's not the, the giving, it's the giving and receiving kind of both ways and making it transactional in that kind of way. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you, don't, you definitely got people to trust you with it when you bring food. Um, consistency, just be consistently brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing you were talking about earlier about how like food, like the central, how central food is to like building community, how good of a tool it is for building community. Uh, made me think of our last guest for we had last week. We had a cradle community on, and uh, they were talking about how their meetings are always centered around food as well. And then just, you know, if you make good food, people will show up and then you can have the yeah. conversation from there. So it just seems to be like a common thread that we're seeing. The food is actually like a really, I think it's like a pretty like under, under like, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Mule? Underrated. Under underappreciated yeah underrated underappreciated uh, uh fa a facet of like organizing yeah 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 i think like and across like a lot of cultures around the world as well it's like kind of like to meet over food is like kind of like a really important thing like i definitely it definitely is for maori it's like they say like again uh you know like a hui is like a term for like a meeting sort of thing over here so they say like a hui without it without kai is um should have been an email 
<laughs> it's like just this thing where it's like <laughs> you know like if you're gonna have like a proper meeting you're gonna sit down with someone like it's kind of customary to like you know to like put on food and like you know to sit down over it and I think it can also be kind of like um you know like it it can be a little bit of a disarming thing so you know it's like it's not this big serious thing anymore it's not like we're you know like it, it, it kind of like makes it a little bit more of a um a chilled kind of atmosphere where we're you know sitting yeah. down, we're eating and we're going to be honest and all that kind of stuff all- so yeah it also gets over one of the biggest hurdles, like Mark Fisher, uh, when he's lecturing about group consciousness raising, he's just done this whole long thing about like how important group consciousness construction is. And then he's like, well, but the biggest problem is people are just tired. Like they get home from their job. Oh, yeah, and they're yeah, just like, absolutely. I got a, I got, I got like, like 16 hours until I'm back at work again. And like, fucking I'm, I'm tired as shit. And I got to do my dishes. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gets a laugh from the, the students, but he's like, no, no, it's, it's true. Like, this is the problem. Like you're just tired. And like, if you're providing food, then like that really, and that's what cradle community is saying, right? Like it just gets around that. Cause like you're getting dinner there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. Think, and it's, something... Oh, go on, Dan. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's like a weird kind of repressed British thing is not eating dinner together. It seems like everyone else does it. And I, I have so much more fun when I'm not in the UK because um, we're all doing really fun stuff while we're eating together. You come back here, you're just like, oh, we've got to go to the pub. Everyone just like scrams their dinner down before they go out and then you know, you're out for the night and have some beers or whatever. But yeah, I think it's like a weird British thing. So we'll yeah, go you're right. Some- you're actually completely right, Dan. Like I, the, the amount of times I'm just eating on my own, um you know and and the, like the the times that i that i really enjoy food is when i'm cooking for other people like recently like um i started going to my partners every friday night and i cook for her and her flatmate and me and it's like it's also like a bit challenging because she's vegan too so it's like i got to get out of my like omnivore diet and like figure out like what to cook yeah. and stuff and it becomes like a whole ass like <laughs> meal thing. yeah Will you, and will you cook for me when I come visit you? I've already cooked for you and you know will I'll you cook, cook for you, you again. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, and and it's like that feeling that you get because not only is it like, okay, yeah, we're eating together and this is nice and there's <clears> trust, <throat> but there's also the like I'm cooking for someone and that gives me purpose. Like, you know, we all search for purpose mm. in this life, right? Because we don't know what the fuck it is. Like, let's face it. Um, but you know, if your purpose is getting people fed and bringing people together, that's huge. That's huge. And if you can like sort of just convince people that actually, you know, if we're looking for, I don't know, Sigma grind set, become a billionaire, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of dreams, that's kind of rubbish compared to like bringing people together and having a lovely time and eating some delicious food. Like, you know, you don't really have a lot of friends when you're a billionaire. I know this is true because look at Elon Musk. He's desperate for friends. Um, you know, but like you get a lot of friends by feeding people, by like coming together and like starting something like Gaskell Garden Project. So I'm just getting, I'm just getting a little um, uh, conscious because we're in, in, we're getting into the second hour here of having you on. And I want to make sure that, th- that you've got everything out that you want to talk about. So we've spoken already about, um, spoken about food sovereignty and we've spoken about the surplus uh, food project. And we've spoken about, um, uh, the page you feel cafe and all this kind of stuff. Is there anything else that you want to, that you want to mention about what you do that maybe we've not touched on yet? Um, 
I want to just respond back to a point that Sophie just made, if that's all right, um, about the idea of people being too tired to do anything when they get home from work. And we can't consider that to be a purposely made construct because- I completely tired, agree. Please carry you know, on. <laughs> tired, tired people can't organize and can't challenge, can they? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the truth. Yep. Keep them working, keep them tired. You come home, all you can do is have a bottle of wine, go to bed. Well, to, to expand on what I was saying it from, which is Fisher's post-capitalist desire, he said like that um, the concept of the second shift from feminism that like that like women were coming home and having to do a second job because the because they all the reproductive labor was on them. Like with the redistribution, like more now more of everyone is, is still just doing a second shift. Like it's still like there's problems with that concept, but like the point about being tired still stands and like. He also was relating this back to a personal anecdote that when he was working teaching like high school students, their HR person had told them because um, they started meeting in the pub after work and chatting about how shit the work was. And they started, they started organizing their workplace because of it. And their HR person was like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right? I promise one, one last thing I'll probably add. It's just um, the, next, the next kind of thing, the next thing on our radar now is uh, we're taking over this abandoned slip road. It's like, a, it's 300 meters of concrete. It runs along Princess Parkway, which in Manchester is Manchester's busiest road. Um, it's about 27,000 people pass it per day. So this year, this year we're going big. Well, we're not messing around anymore. And like kind of for like eight years, we've kind of been playing the slow game in terms of politics. It's like just building communities, building trust, building that power. This year seems to be the year that we're going to start executing it. And we've got 27,000 people per day passing by this new site then it gives us this really interesting opportunity to go a bit more macro for what we're doing. And the site's not going to be fenced off. It's actually going to be more of a park. It's going to be a permaculture park where everything's edible. And it's supposed to be a bike lane, but it's just used for fly tipping. So we're going to make Manchester's most beautiful cycle lane next to Manchester's busiest road. I know exactly where you mean. I actually Fucking cycle based, down there yeah. quite regularly. Yeah, yeah oh, you're exactly user. where you yeah, mean. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for Congratulations. sure. Congratulations, yeah. you're, you're, you're a stakeholder in. I'm like the only guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like literally the only guy that uses that cycle lane. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's really so horrible at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, so that should be really interesting with that. And it, the idea then is that it creates resources. It's, it's called a prop, we call it a propagation garden. So everything that we grow in there, you should be able to take cuttings and just replant a community composter. And the idea, if you actually want to green the city if you actually want to do this you know we're not going to ask for permission for land i mean why, why do you have to ask for permission for land it doesn't belong to anybody right and if it belongs to the council then that by default means it belongs to me right because the council are the shepherds of the uh resources and assets of the people and so all the stuff that we're producing it's just going to go everywhere everywhere now this year so yeah if anyone's come to do it it's, it's good fun and so I'm guessing then the little bits of stuff that I've seen on that slip road are all to do with you lot. Yeah, because... I, suppose, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually took a video. So it, I hope that this is exactly that. There can't be more than one of these. So it has to be used. But I took a little video of some signs that you'd left there saying like peace and love and all this stuff. Is that you's or is that? That was actually a local resident who, right. uh, who took it upon themselves to do that. Um, and, that's, very, that's very highly encouraged. Yeah, and but there's other stuff that I've seen there. There's some like containers and stuff, and I, I that's right. Sure yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, excellent. I love when that happens. So that's much. amazing. Yeah. Someone's put mm -hmm. up a someone's put up a sticker by um, the big Tesco near me. That's like it's a picture of a woman lying, just like lying in bed, looking tired, and it says like. I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. And then says like, this great thing about like 
yeah, just like changing the system. And I'm just oh, like, great. it's just great when you figure out like there's just people in your neighborhood doing base shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Oh, that's really awesome, Dan. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's I think it's good to to really specify um just in in what way, you know, people can actually take these ideas and run with them. Um and we on Red Planet, we like to tell people just how um you, you know organizations get started because that will hopefully inspire people to go out and do that themselves or or you know tell people about it at least which could be the seeds uh you know forgive the the relatory pun that fruit into uh you know a, a new organization yes very uh, funny Kira. yeah uh, ha, 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 i did a joke well done <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's yeah. So <laughs> I'm sassy uh, today, God. Yes, I am sassy today, and I'll remain sassy until you <laughs> behave. Um, anyway, so yeah, <laughs> is that just how you started? <laughs> so, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. So sorry, <laughs> I got a bit distracted. <laughs> so when you when you were talking before about um, how you just got like a pack of seeds and that grew into 30 pumpkins. Is it just, is that how you started or how did you start? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's how, that's how we started really. He, I uh, originally I worked for the, the United Nations. I kind of like my journeys kind of like three times expelled from school, kind of, um, in trouble with, you know, the court systems and things like this. And they say, yeah, get your head down, work hard, go to university, get a job. Well, that was a lie. Right. And so I actually, I actually trained as a solicitor. I actually trained in law because I was really good at it because I didn't like policemen very much at the time. And I thought it was a good way to um, live a more prosperous life. And so I went to university and then um, I actually went to the master's in Holland. I lived in Holland. Um, and that's why I specialized in the LGBT plus community in Russia. Um, so I ended up going over to Russia. I spent some time there and I, I was basically just filming Nazis beating up gay people. Right. And it was a pretty horrible time. And then I came back to Holland and I was just like, right, you know, what are we going to do about this? Because it's obviously, you know, a bad thing. And the UN just looked at me and said, oh, there's not much really we can do. And so in that kind of moment, I, I just quit. I just quit. I was, I was young, ambitious, but I was also quite annoyed about it. And so I won't I interject for long. I will just say, fuck the UN. Please carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. yeah, yeah. It, it's if it, it, just, just for the record, the whole of the UN is a complete lie, and it is the most dreadful place to work. Um, so I quit and became a farmer. And unfortunately, that, I moved to Portugal. I was just farming land in Portugal, having a great time. You know, just herding goats, living in the forest is just wonderful. Uh, unfortunately, then uh, my my best friend was then murdered in India. You see, it's the problem. Uh, him and his partner on the honeymoon um, they were killed by Kashmirian police. And so at that point, I came back to came back to Manchester to kind of be with people. And that's the, when I had the realization that, you know, I've been floating around different countries for, you know, five, six years and I didn't have a community. Uh, when something bad happened, I, I, I had no one to rely on. I didn't have that, you know, there's a lack of spirituality and there's a lack of community in my life. And I came back to Manchester and, you know, we had nothing. There was no jobs for anyone. There, there's, there's no work going there. You know, people were all sleeping on sofas. I had nothing to do. And so I kind of thought, well, this permaculture thing, the joke is you don't need any money to start it, right? So to make a permaculture vegetable bed, we make it out of soil, logs, twigs, leaves, grass, right? The thing yeah. these things all have in common is that they're, they're very numerous and very cheap, yeah? And yeah. so I just started, I got, I was actually drinking in a bar one night and I was a bit sad that this guy next to me at the bar said, you know, why are you looking so blue? And I explained to him my story and I said, you know, my friends died. I'm looking for a bit of land. I, I, I need a sense of purpose. Yeah, completely purposeless. And he looked at me and he said, um, oh, that's funny. 
I'm actually the chairman of an allotment site um, down the road. Um, come tomorrow, I'll give you a bit of land. And it kind of started from there. And I later found out, I later found, he gave me this terrible bit of land. It was riddled with bindweed and brambles and no one else wanted it. I later found out that he actually thought I was just some kind of vagrant who, you know, was just going to kind of humour and he thought I wouldn't kind of turn up and do anything. But, <laughs> <laughs> so they oh, found that he out. was bluffing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you yeah, called his bluff. Like, That's awesome. <laughs> you're like, I'm here to take my land. <laughs> you know, and I, I turned up. And so what I started doing, I just started digging. I just started clearing land, started digging. And then one day someone walks by and says, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm just digging. And, you know, I, I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to live. So I started digging at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. keep digging until 11 p.m. Yeah. And this, then his friend said, oh, can I dig too? And then there's two of us digging. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude's like, rock. We're, yes. we're and they say, well, this can is I dig the biggest too? dude's rock I've ever heard. You know, yeah. <laughs> then there's six of us. We didn't have a wheelbarrow or anything by this point. I saw another gardener like push a wheelbarrow down, stuff in it. I was like, no oh, way. that's how you do it. You put it on wheels, all right? <laughs> <laughs> what we started doing, you know, we, 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 had, we had no money. We had no money. We didn't really know what we were doing. And um, so what we started doing is um, I started selling herb cutting. So I go to pub beer gardens, um, big garden centers, a pair of scissors and we couldn't afford to buy the plants but i could steal parts off the plants oh, yeah. so just that's so dope. yeah with right? the, what just... do you call that propagation yeah you can do that yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we run workshops on this now so um we take <laughs> the pre cuttings not buy the plants then we sit at the back of our friends reggae night and we sell cuttings and we say to people look just give us a bit of money take as many cuttings as you like and then um, we made our first 40 pounds and we were we were over the moon and it's 40 pounds. Oh my god. Went down to B and Q. B and Q wheelbarrow was 37 pounds 99. We're just like amazing. Got ourselves a wheelbarrow and it kind of went from there, really. And because at that time like the refugee crisis kind of happened, like well, well the Syrian crisis anyway, kind of happened not too soon after that. And I kind of got drawn back into politics again and drawn back into um, immigration activism. And they kind of start seeing, well, you know, you had all these people. Uh, who are coming into Manchester who uh, weren't allowed to work and had nothing to do. And all you could think mm-hmm. is that these people are really valuable. Yeah, you just got them sitting around not doing anything. And I thought, well, if British people don't want to kind of like come down and hang out with me in the garden, not working, you know, I'll do it with these guys instead. And so, you know, it, there, there's a hotel, a uh, Britannia hotel down uh, near the airport where um, they put people seeking refuge when they first come arrive before the house and circle housing. And I just went down there, spoke to a few people. The next thing you know, you know, it's like 30 of us, all this farming. This this allotment site was largely abandoned, but half it wasn't in use. And so we tra- we transformed probably about an acre of land into a functioning community garden within about, it was about a year and a half, mm. a year and a half to kind of do that. Um, we had big polytunnels by that point. We had ponds. We had uh, lots of vegetable production. But most importantly, we had um, like a fire pits and our cooking area. It's really important. Um, we also had loads of like bikes and just like stuffy. The kind of problem was when working people seeking refuge is that um, people can't um, travel. And so really, you've got to provide five pounds per person for their bus fares. And this is the other fun thing. You know, you say, oh, you know, we don't want to use money. We don't want to do capital system. But for these guys, like, they need bus fares, man. So, you know, they yeah. need five pounds a person. We can't ignore that. Yeah. And so I kind of looked at them and thought, poor, you guys are getting expensive. You know, we, we don't really have any money. Um, so I said, well, who can cycle? Because instead of getting one bus ticket per Sunday from me, you know, if you get yourself a bike, you can go anywhere. So we made them a deal. 
I said, look, if I go around and get these kind of like broken old bikes, we'll teach you how to fix them on the condition you make two. You make one for yourself, then you make one, we send them to the Calais camp, we did a lot of stuff Calais at the time, or just kind of anywhere else. And that's what kind of put us on the map, I think, was, was that kind of point where people kind of knew there was a space you go down to, no questions asked, home office doesn't know you're there, um, it's all hidden away, there's all this resource kind of popping up from there. You can choose what the resource is that you want to have. As it kind of like catapulted from, from there, but we didn't need anything. I mean, we, we got the tools and seeds and stuff after we kind of started, really. Um, all you needed was a bit of enthusiasm, I suppose. You just have to really like doing it. The kind of idea of permaculture is that if it's not supposed to feel like work, you know. Right, mm. it's supposed to just kind of feed into itself as, as mm -hmm. it were. It's supposed to be enjoyable, you know, kind of doing it. So as long as, like, you enjoy it, then other people can't enjoy it. And um, it kind of just pings off in different directions kind of from there, you know. You know, some people weren't really doing any gardening. You're just like, you know, you're all right. Some some people have thought, you really don't like it here, and I feel really bad, you know, but why do you keep coming every Sunday? And they say, well, I hate gardens. I don't get my shoes dirty, but I just love, you know, being somewhere where there's people I can chat to. And you're kind of like, all right, well, what do you like doing? And they say, well... Oh, I'm a painter. And I say, oh, well, get this person some paint. You know, start painting. And they say, well, I like cooking. Well, cook. Or they say, I'm a lawyer. And they say, oh, great. I've got some legal trouble. Or they say, I'm a doctor. You think, oh, great. You know, so it's kind of this idea that anyone can contribute anything they like. And it's always going to be celebrated in, in this space. And I think by having that kind of mentality, it means, like, for example, you know, it's almost like a union in the way, you know, we're non-party political, um, you know, and, which means you get this kind of like cross dynamic of so many different people and they can be different and they don't have to agree with each other, but they have to cooperate with each other. I, I think that's the real trick to it. And I think when you're kind of using the medium of gardening, which is so natural, it's so intrinsic and it's so kind of like mm -hmm. harmless in a way, you know, it's, it's very non-judgmental um, gardening. I mean, when you grow a plant, a plant doesn't really kind of um, judge you for being X, Y, and Z. It doesn't know. It's just a, it's a cute little plant, you know. And there's like kind of like humbleness kind of with it. Goes. So yeah, I think we're just in the right mm -hmm. place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Quite a long time. I think we're just getting lucky. Quite a lot as well. <laughs> I don't know. That is an amazing story, and. Um... There's there's something really quite powerful there with what you said about plants as well. I had a, I saw a talk at the Blue Dot Festival by a guy I can't remember the name of. I think his second name was Kumar, um, and he was talking about how in nature fruit doesn't ask you how much money you've got. It doesn't ask yeah. you what political party <laughs> you've got, uh, what what you're affiliated to, or what your gender is, or what your skin color is. It just says, "Here's some fruit. Do you want it?" and you can take it and that's fine um and i think like having that at the core of your uh organization is is honestly fucking awesome um so yeah i think it's awesome that um you can just get stuff started like that like so that sophie will appreciate me saying this because sophie loves it when i say stuff like this uh this is this is i'm coining it now sophie's already coined it as mule thought and it is this is this is a part of mule thought and that is that just like that when you said that you just kind of like went to the britannia hotel and just was like knocking i guess you just knocked on doors and you were just like yo do i just come and help me out in my garden project like that is an example of like just people going in rooms and saying things, right? 
And I used to say, I used to say, this. she loves going it. in rooms and saying it's things. Just like, it's, but that it's, is, it's, that is, that is what life is. Your thought, it's so good. That is what life is. You know, when you think about like Boris Johnson, for example, he's just a guy yeah. that went in a room and said a thing. You know what I mean? He just goes in rooms and says this stuff and people are like, yeah, okay, I believe him. And that's it. And that's how we got to where he is. And obviously there's a lot of privilege as well. Like we've been born into money. I guess I like just, that. I love life is just going in rooms and saying things simultaneously. <laughs> like it, you can't argue it's not true, but it's no. also got this flavor to it as a statement. That's like, it's so like, it's like a Carl Pilkington kind of thing, right? There's like, a, there's, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I think it, I'm not, I'm not calling it stupid. I'm calling it like, no, it's, uh, the, oh, there's like it's, a, it's such there's a, a profound to like piece the wording, of wisdom. Yeah. There's, there's it so is. much like there's so much like magic mushroom flavor to this to this like <laughs> statement. It's it like is. I can't argue it's not true, but I can also say it could only come to you in the middle of a trip. Like well, the I've got no comment. That, like <laughs> I've got no comment on that as to where I came to this conclusion. But it was in a room when I may yeah. or may not have been saying things. Um. So, but like, so what? It, getting back on track, uh, it's like you've done that. What you've done is you've is you've gone. I want the world to be a better place. Well, not even necessarily. You've been you've been making the world a better place, and then going. Well, do you know what? Yeah, as you said, like I, we could get a lot more people to get involved in this. And in fact, some of the most vulnerable people in society would absolutely die for this opportunity. So I'm just going to go there into that room, say this thing. And now this thing has become massive and it's huge. And it's part of a really awesome organ. You've made a huge, amazing uh, organization um, out of it. And it's really, really, really cool. So in terms of... Um, what I want chat to take away from this uh, bizarre screed, this bizarre rant that I'm going on about, you know, going into rooms and saying things is that you could just do that as well. Like you could, if you were thinking about like, oh, my area could really do with something like the Gaskell Garden Project. Well, guess what? You could just go into some rooms and say some things and maybe you will have an amazing situation such as Dan and Tommy as well. <laughs> to formulate um, this into maybe a question, Dan and Tommy, um, if you <laughs> If our chat wanted to go in rooms, say things to make a Gaskell Garden project of their own, what rooms and what things should they go to and say? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think without, without kind of making us look too, uh, too piratey, I think our greatest assets is walking in pubs and bars and speaking to people. And it, it's kind of like the spaces where people kind of felt quite comfortable and probably where we felt quite comfortable being in as well. And I think, Kind of, kind of like with it, it's like with the Gasol Garden project, I didn't really wait for people to kind of think, oh, yeah, I'll do that with you. I just thought, well, if I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. And, and if people want to kind of join on to that, then, you know, it's this really kind of welcome invitation to kind of do it. But what I don't really, maybe it's a personal attribute more than anything else, is I don't really like being idle. I'm a bit ADHD. I kind of like, like doing stuff and I, I like patterns and I like systems and it's all good kind of like talking about stuff, but like talking about stuff kind of like gets to the kind of point where, you know, you're so good at talking about it, you know, are you able to implement it? And with something like, you know, we, we started off what was called um, uh, an, an unincorporated um, organization, so unincorporated community. And it basically just meant that, you know, we there's nothing really binding us together apart from kind of like a, an agreement, you know, we, we'd have a constitution and we'd have a bank account. 
Um, we weren't able to hold more than £5,000 in the bank account. And those kind of limitations kind of doing it that way. But it also gave us a tremendous amount of freedom. So there was some sense of legitimacy in the first kind of instance because we had to access like a few things in the capitalist system, you know, like a bank account, right? We, we can't re-operate our bank account, or we could. But then, you know, then me and Tom are just walking rounds of cash and, you know, it might be seen as a bit corrupt or, you know, or we might lose it or something like that. I don't know. It's complicated. Then, of course, then working with people seeking refuge, you know, the kind of point with it is that we didn't see people seeking refuge and we still don't see them as vulnerable people. We see them as viable people. And that's a difference in the way of the approach as well. You know, we didn't go down to the hotel and think, oh, you poor people, um, you must be having a really bad time. It was like, actually like we actually need help. We actually need help and you guys are not allowed to work. And, you know, you guys are a tremendous viable asset. This kind of comes back to the, the permaculture way of thinking or a small traditional way of thinking that everything has its value and people have their value um, in, in that kind of way. And then, then kind of with that, then you need to kind of walk a fine line with things like safeguards and things like that. You know, the project, because we have such an open door policy to, to membership um, and we do tend to attract um, a very colourful uh, array of members and it's, it's mostly <laughs> people who kind of like can't see themselves fitting into these more kind of formalized settings so kind of like whether it be you can think, I'll go volunteer for a community garden but it might be like quite a lot of rules and you know it might be quite, quite top-down kind of structure you know you can't have like the head gardeners or like the uh, the director something like that and you definitely feel like when you say the word volunteer you definitely feel like you're giving up something of yourself for something else. And that's a weird kind of dynamic. Then you kind of get people who, you know, you just don't feel comfortable in the kind of um, normal kind of space. Mm -hmm. It's an alternative space, you see. So we get a very colorful mix of people, but with that, you know, with that comes mental health issues, with that comes uh, substance problems, um, with that comes, you know, all those kind of like multitudes of kind of problems. So in a way we did have to have some kind of formalization in specific to safeguarding and making sure that the spaces are safe. Um, mm -hmm. That's a really important thing for us. I mean, in the past we had, you know, we've had all kinds of instances um, uh, where people have like schizophrenia and things like that. And, and people, you have to be able to like learn how to manage that. And I, I think that's more the challenging kind of thing is like, it's so people facing and it's so, kind of like gregarious it's a very social kind of activity that that's been the learning over the past eight years how to navigate ourselves and you know it, it, it sounds funny but to be able to organize and make any kind of systemic change or to make any kind of uh, development of something you believe in then you have to get that that element of cooperation kind of right i think that's the hardest bit um these days we're actually a community interest company now um and so we have uh six directors and then probably about 50, 60 board members, um, which, is, which is interesting to us. So we had to, we had to like fit in with some kind of uh, legitimate organizational structure. And the reason why we're a CIC is because with CIC is what's called um, an asset lock. So any assets that we have, it belongs to the project and therefore belongs to the community. It means that no individual from the project can steal those, those assets. And in particular for us, it's about land. And so when dealing with the council or dealing with private landowners, no one will give us land. If, say, for example, he was a lease on the land, then tomorrow me and Tom could sell it and then go off to Mexico, yeah? But if you have this asset lock, it means that if we kind of like collapse the organization or the organization stops, then we have a named other organization where the assets um, automatically go to. So that's been problematic for us um, because um, we're not very good are dealing with accounts and money and things like that a lot we've been learning you know 
we have to like submit tax returns, which has been um, a big learning process for us. Uh, managing the finances. Ah, uh, same. We do it all ourselves. Yeah. And, and these are kind of like good skills as well, because, you know, you've you got to know your enemy, don't you? I mean, it's really interesting in terms of like um, the organization. If you know how finances works or if you know how these systems kind of work, then you know how to create different blueprints and different ideas to, to what they are. So it's it depends how big you want to make things, really. Um, but it's yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Yeah, you just shove seeds in the ground. It's it's easy. Yeah, let's do it. Shoving seeds, Put in, seeds ground. in ground. Walk in, walk in the room, say things. Yeah, chuck yeah. seeds in ground. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the society we live in now. You go in rooms and say things. The society we want to live in. You just put seeds in the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. everyone has a wheelbarrow. It's putting seeds in people's minds, isn't it? I mean, like, you're you, you kind of think like, who, who is it you kind of want to work with? You don't have to work with everyone as well. I mean, I think places like, um, you know, we work with the squats quite a lot. So you go to the squats, you have some like-minded people in there, it can be pretty cool. But then you kind of think, well, actually, you know, this is like, this is like a, a, a local kind of project. You know, you, you want to have ownership to the actual community itself. And that's a tremendous big thing. So how do you get the local residents or the people around to take ownership of what the project is? And that's, we, we 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 run workshops on this kind of stuff and all this comes from our own kind of personal experience of how to do that but you can see huge big difference in results of whether people have this kind of um equal access to the membership equal access over the decision making and also kind of like um start from the ground up really um in a way over the slip road project for example you know we're doing it directly with the uh local residents who live in the housing estate that that joins it and um we kind of started doing that through uh through the tenants union um, it's really useful. There's a, a campaign called Block the Block. They're trying to stop uh, the building of student flats to overshadow the over 55s uh, accommodation. So it's going to be, you know, very traumatic for them. And so you kind of see what I mean by kind of building power. So you kind of like go along to these guys and they'll say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to support your thing. We're going to support your thing with our thing. Then it becomes kind of like the same thing. So you got kind of like these activists, like these union workers or these direct action people. Well, like, hell, you know. Make sure these guys are fed because you know <laughs> they're doing something mm-hmm. really kind of good with it. In mm-hmm. return, they come and they come and guard them with you. And it's like one thing kind of leads to the other. And I think, you know, in terms of what rooms to walk into, I mean, whatever room you want to. Um, we love like mosques and community centers. We love community centers. Uh, the more broken down and beaten up they are, the better for us, really. And then there's a, there's a tremendous amount of people who do want to do things. It's just how you engage in them and how you gain the invitation to them. And what does your invitation look like as well? You know, it, 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 this comes back to the trust thing again, doesn't it? You know, you're going to walk into a room and say, hey, I can make all your problems disappear. You know, you're a bit kind of like, oh, it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But so how you approach it, and there's no blueprint to that. You know, that, that that's completely different depending on who you're speaking with and what you're doing. But there's always people in communities who would be regarded as like community leaders, I suppose, who have influence over large amounts of people. Get them on your side and everything else falls into place afterwards. So, um, uh, God, I was going to say something just then. Oh, yeah. So about the block, the block campaign. If you want to, if anyone in chat wants to learn more about that, I actually reported on that on the positive leftist news that i guest hosted uh back in october i think it was i'll put the link in the chat now but block the block was a really awesome campaign and that is that sort of like speaks to as well um oh this is also something that i'm having an adhd moment sorry this is also something that i wanted to speak about earlier with you dan about sort of like because you mentioned 
at how far do you remove yourself from capitalism? Because that has been a lot of criticism of things like communes, for example. Like if you go and you live the anarcho-communist dream, are you out there, you know, spending all your time uh, farming and shit like that? And, you know, you don't have any time to actually like go and help your comrades in the city anymore. You don't have any relation to the tenants unions, the trade unions, the mutual aid groups and stuff like that. You just you know, so focused on doing your own thing. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that you do, you do have, you know, there is a great incentive to go out there and make a commune. Of course, like I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from doing that. And I think anyone who does that is exceptionally based. However, it has to be, yeah, it's exactly like Trans Salamander says in the chat, communes can't work without mutual aid. Like you need those connections. You need, you cannot exist in an insular community because all you're doing there is you're sort of perpetuating the alienation that happens in society, but doing it in a based way. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's not based either way, but it is, you know, you know what I'm trying to say basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you, you bring that up really because like the, probably the, one of the main reasons why we started Gastle Garden Project was because of that. So I, I was living in these like communes and these permaculture farms, you know, in Portugal. They, uh, I moved to Wales, then worked in the Centre for Alternative Technology in Macuncliffe. If anyone's ever been there, it's it a beautiful place in the world. But then you couldn't help get this feeling that I had a bit more, I, I had too much energy in me. And I, although it was really beautiful, I really loved what we were doing. I couldn't help but feel that people in the cities needed this. And, you know, especially back in those days as well, we had a lot of Nazis in Manchester. And this is kind of like Nick Griffin, BNP time. And these Nazis, uh, EDL and people like this, were actually marching the streets in Manchester. Um, but they actually got Nick Griffin, who was their, their, their Nazi leader, was actually elected them to the European um, Parliament. You know, they're, they're actually like legitimizing themselves. And when you kind of sat out there in your commune, you hear this Nazis march on the street in Manchester. It does make you kind of feel that, like, I need to go back. So the idea of Castle Garden Project was trying to bring the idea of resource and beauty that you had in the countryside, but try and apply it in the city. And um, and so that, that that's why Castle Gardens is so kind of urbanized, kind of growing kind of idea. It's uh, kind of following more like a, like a Cuban kind of model of, you know, small scale growing on streets. And I think Cuba produces, or I don't know if it still does, but something like 85% of all its own food. Yep. You know, and, and, and that came to. out Yeah, it, it came out of necessity. And this is like, it's crazy, right? It's kind of thing, well, hold on a minute. It's completely possible. It's completely low tech. It's low cost. So it's really interesting. Now, I admit it is eight years down the line and um, we haven't quite taken over the entirety of Greater Manchester just yet. But, you know, it's just just kind of there in place, you know, kind of doing it. And I think for me, um, for for me personally, is that once I feel that I've contributed as much as I possibly can to systemic change in Manchester, that I kind of earn my right to kind of leave the city and kind of go and die happy in a nice sort of commune in paradise but whilst i've still got energy to fight you know i'll stay here um but the, the, the idea eventually would be to get some land um outside the city and then you mm. know in terms of creating resources then we can start flooding the city with a huge amount of resources um that'll be pretty cool that'll be a pretty cool thing to do in the future but yeah whilst you're active be active you know world's yeah, not going yes. anywhere really Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such uh, an important thing to remember. It's like, yeah, you can't like it. It's all well and good to have the, you know, the revolution happen for you and and your own little yeah, yeah. isolated commune. But 
you, you know, we need it in the entire world. Like we need it everywhere. Well, the, yeah, the, the problems are going to affect you anyway, aren't they? I mean, you can, you can yes. hide people commune all you like, but the environmental change is going to get you at some point. <laughs> or what happens when people come and try and take your land? You know, you weren't organized. You weren't part of anything. You don't have those connections anymore. You know, you, you're vulnerable, aren't you? And it's a bit like the old saying, you know, no one's free until everyone's free kind of thing. And that does kind of churn away at you as an activist. You know, when yeah. when do you stop being an activist? You know, the answer's probably never, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. Well, to, um, to 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 riff off that, I've been, I've been taken to saying recently, free people, free people. And I think that's mm. what you're doing, right? Like, you're getting people who can get more people because you're freeing them. Yes. Hopefully yeah, yeah, yeah. just freeing free up their time and uh, resources, you know, like all that kind of stuff um, that they can go on to spend the, you know, their own time and resources uh, helping other people, which is pretty great. Yeah. I, I, I was quite critical of all the people that I stayed with um, on the farms and the communes. So I kind of looked at them, you know, I was a bit kind of like, ah, oh, you know, we kind of need you in the city kind of thing. But then kind of later on, I kind of realised that back then I was young. I was, I was much younger than I was now. I was, I was probably like a lot more ambitious than I am now and I kind of realized these guys had served you know many many years being activists and they were tired you know they were burnt yeah. out they 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 don't they've actually kind of earned their time uh being somewhere nice and as long as you kind of pass that knowledge and pass those skills on to other people to continue the fight then then that, that, that's when you kind of do it you know people get children and things everyone deserves a nice life for really, isn't it you know you can't kind of hold people hostage to it but now as I'm getting a bit older I'm starting to think boy I quite like that nice little um, straw bale house with uh, little chickens and, you know, nice relaxing life, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah, that's awesome. My partner and was chatting so... with someone the other day about like retirement and pensions and that shit. And she just told them, yeah, my retirement plan is um, communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is revolution, either, either successful revolution or, you know, die trying to get it. So. <laughs> Well, should we start um, moving into the questions? You guys, that's probably that sensible. I've got a question. I've got a question. All right, Dan. Dan um, or Tommy, have either of you ever played Stardew Valley? Uh, (laughs) Not a clue. Right. Okay. No, I just wanted to check because everything that you've said just sounds like Stardew Valley, uh, which is a game in which you literally do what user on it. It's more capitalism based. It's not as based as what user doing, but I just, cause there's like a community center. Anyway, listen, it doesn't matter. That was a bit of a joke question. Real everyone, real everyone not doing stuff as based as Dan and Tommy is comparing it to, um, comparing it to video <laughs> games. I've got um, M in DM saying it's like early game age, age of empires. And I said, <laughs> this, this was while you were describing out like how the project happened. And I, I said like, this man is living Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just started oh, yeah. digging and then you've like expanded the tech tree yeah yeah it's a real like minecraft yeah that's like one of the of the age of empires unlocks right like you know, <laughs> yeah. you know um, this this is why minecraft is so good because it is real life and everyone should just go out and do real life instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exactly let's like all, real life let's all just go and fucking seize our own food sovereignty from the state in minecraft yes yes yeah. <laughs> right okay actual questions actual real life questions from real life chatters so the first question that we had is from the cheat and he said sorry the cheat 1312 i think that's important to add um <laughs> he says what are some characteristics you think of when choosing a crop and what's your favorite crop it's a double double barrel question either of you can answer it 
That is a great question. Um, mm. Very disconcerting name, very untrustworthy name. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but we'll answer your question nonetheless. Um, <laughs> favorite, was it, was it favorite crop to grow, was it? Well, yeah, what's your favorite crop and what are the characteristics you think of when choosing a, a crop? Do you want to answer that, Tommy? Because that's... Let's go first, like, perennial or annual, if it's something that's going to grow every year, year on year. So when you plant it once, you're going to get, like, a harvest year on year since then. That would be the most efficient to plant. And definitely the first thing I'd think when weighing up when to pick a crop, definitely prefer perennials as well. And annuals are good, but... Mm. Usually your staples are annual. The, 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 the problem, problem with growing annual crops, which quite a lot of people do, which, which means it just lives one season, you know, like a tomato, pepper, aubergine, cabbage, well, whatever. You grow it once and then you harvest it, then your beds go bare, then next year you have to resow it again. What most people do, they buy in compost, little plastic pots, you have like an indoor space. It's actually quite a lot of hard work. And people do that because a lot of the time those kind of annual crops, they're not they're not native UK based. So, you know, like there's tomatoes and things like that. They're not really from here. But perennial crops just means that you don't have to regrow them again. They're really fun because it means it's much less energy. And you, you remember saying, oh, people come home from work and they're too tired to do things. You know, I, I agree. Yeah. You have things just grow for yourself. And this, if you're really interested in this kind of thing, uh, look into natural farming. Uh, there's a book called One Straw Revolution by Fukuoka, which is the absolute Bible on it. Well, for us now, we've got this concept that's called the, the Wall of Four Seasons. So it's essentially uh, rhubarb, which is perennial, grows back every year. We use rhubarb a lot for the cafes. But we're all about rhubarb crumble. Love it. And that grows, and it grows first in the season. So it blocks out sunlight to any kind of weed seeds underneath it. Then with that, we grow raspberries. Uh, so the rhubarb grows, uh, you harvest in the spring. The raspberries then you harvest in the summertime. Then we have apple trees with it. So you harvest the apple trees in autumn. Then we grow what's called Jerusalem artichokes um, and you harvest them in winter. So it means in one, and it, it forms like a block, like a block of like vegetation. Oh yeah. Different heights, different colors, different flowers, um, different dynamics. It creates biodiversity, like things live in it. Um, it also blocks people out from like looking at you, uses wind barriers. So what mm. we're looking for in a crop is dynamics. Yeah, how, how, how the crop interrelates to its surroundings around it. Um, I say my favorite plant is a plant called Lovage. Uh, I've also got a tattoo on my body. But it, essentially, it's, uh, it's called a wild mountain celery. It's like the original celery. Wow. It's sort of those kind of like, um, just celery is like in sticks. But that, that, that's the trick because the capitalist is more commercially viable because it's got a long shelf life. Originally, it's just leaves. Much stronger flavor. It grows Ooh. about kind of like six foot tall. Yeah um it's known as its beneficial plant so anything that you grow next to it grows twice as big twice as healthy uh disease resistant it's it's just called a beneficial plant and i thought it was an old wives tale so i thought i'd try it out we grew an african gourd plant next to the first lovage and the gourd vine grew about 20 meters long producing 83 gourds and so since then we just grow it everywhere um these ones you can grill a garden as well because they're so wow um, you just shove them into any bit of land, just leave them, and it creates an entire garden. Council doesn't know what's hit them. Council doesn't even know. Council doesn't know what land belongs to them. Yeah, and it's yeah, just, so, you're having a big thought. Hang on. That's, so, so you're telling me that I could, Kira? Please don't laugh at me. I'm very smart, right? You're telling me that I could get I this. That was funny. Lovage, love. It's called lovage, right? That's what it's yeah, called. Yeah. yeah, I could get that, and I could put that. Anywhere that there's soil, and it would just go yeah. 
it would just go ham and, and, and yeah. completely grow everywhere all over the place that's incredible i fucking love yeah. that okay just yeah just wanted to check that's amazing Neil, do you yeah. do any gardening yourself have you, do no, you i've lived in a flat i live in a fucking flat i've not got a garden <laughs> come and garden with us yeah that'll uh, go i'm gonna go and garden with dad and tommy now <laughs> jmm1810 in chat was also saying rhubarb are also great for nitro cycle fostering i don't know what those words mean but i thought you would appreciate them dan and tommy yeah (laughs) absolutely again again when you have no with no waste one of the best um things i've ever taught um being being a gardener is never remove the fertility out of your own garden Mm. and you see something like rhubarb uses these big stalks and these big leaves the leaves we actually just mash straight back into vegetable bed afterwards this is brilliant brilliant crop Old Faithful. It's always the first sign of spring, which quite worryingly is starting to come out in like December and November times now. And you know, rhubarb's a really good measure of environmental damage, actually. You, you can see how out of sync um the seasons actually are through plants like rhubarb. It's really, really cool. Mm. Iberian originally did. So it's actually uh, go on. Oh. I just want to ask a question now, unless it's yours is more relevant, but I want to, because you're talking about like seasons being, you know, out of cycle, global warming, it's very obviously kicking in, in a very real way. Have you seen any changes in like how you manage your, manage your, your garden? Over, over the past eight years, I mean, we, we, we take photographs, we try and document it the best you can, but when, when you're doing growing, when you're doing um, food production or growing, you become really in tune with it. And the, the biggest problem is uh, fruit. So what mm. happens is that early in the season, the fruit trees will blossom. and But they're supposed to blossom at the same time that the bees and all the insects become active again. And of course, then the, the flowers are then pollinated and it produces fruit. But because the trees have been tripped into thinking it's spring too early. So at the moment, you know, yep. You got, I mean, it's, it's a cold snap now, but you know, it's like 15 degrees like the other day, and it goes down to like minus three or whatever. So, in that kind of warmth, it triggers the blossoms. Then, what yep. happens is then the snow and the wind comes afterwards, blows all the blossoms off before the insects are welcome pollinated. So, we're seeing a sharp decline in fruit production um, over the years going through. And that's been counteracted with what we call a cast, right? C A S T E, where you kind of think, oh, so mate, what happens is, is that the, the, the trees or the vegetables, they overproduce fruits. And people get that mistaken for thinking, oh, it's been a really good season. I've grown up really well. That's actually the tree panicking. It's trying to overproduce seeds and trying to overproduce its fruit to try and maintain its own survival. That means it's actually some kind of shock and it's some kind of danger. So you, you really start noticing these things. But I think really it's just the flowers and things. So that's the biggest yeah. problem with it. Spring's a very terrifying. turbulent time. I mean, if we if we plant out our crops, you know, uh, I don't know, squashes, things that don't like frost, you know, you normally plant them out kind of uh, at the end of the first frost, kind of start of April. And then what happens is then three weeks later in April, uh, you have a big snowstorm, you know, it kills everything. And then you decide, what do we do now? You know, yeah, it throws you for a fucking six, like. Yeah. yeah. And is, is this, uh, this is just the last thing that I wanted to talk about on th- this question. Um, the, rhubarb, I've heard, grows so fast. Sorry, I know rhubarb. Yeah. Oh, I've heard it, <laughs> it grows. It grows so fast that you can hear it grow. Is that right? What? Oh, so the thing sounds like a the, mule. The, the thing. No, 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 no. I know what this is. I know what this is. I know exactly what this is. Rhubarb only grows in the dark, so uh, there is a production cycle some people use where they'll keep it like under artificial light um for a really long time and then it's storing up loads and loads of energy and then they put it in the dark and then it grows so fast you can hear it and it sounds like wood right. creaking 
Right. Like, right. Uh, okay. Which, like, yeah. also, I didn't realize this until the other day. It was just a very windy day on my street. But, like, you can hear, like, trees creak the same way as, like, wood creaking because they're, they're made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> that is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all learning stuff about nature. Sorry, go on, Dan. If you if you if you want to come down to the garden and spend some time listening to the rhubarb with me, that'll be really welcome. <laughs> I would love, Dan. You know how much I would love to do that. I'd know. love to do that. Yeah. that to, to me, that's an afternoon well spent. To me. Yeah, yeah. Don't, me too, don't, don't go to work. Don't go to work. Come and listen to rhubarb with us. I'm fully fucking down. Fully I'm gonna cry. I mean, that work work is this bullshit for us, so we yeah, it bring... is yeah. <laughs> you know what? Like we could bring a, a, a like my phone and just like chat could hear the rhubarb growing as well. Yeah, um. literally, we could stream from the Gaskell Garden. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? The next right, let's do another. Let's do another question. That was a great answer. Yeah, um, sure. well, I don't know. Question. I don't know if you. I actually don't know if you answered the second part of the question. What's, uh, your, favorite is, what's prop? your favorite? Yeah, what are your favorite yeah, props? Either of you? Did we? Yeah. Lovage. Lovage. Yeah, you Lovage. talked about Lovage. Tommy, did you have a favorite crop? I'm, I'm a rhubarb man. Okay, <laughs> rhubarb. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, then the next Buzzing. question would be from just Johnny, uh, who asked, "What plans would we need to do this ourselves? And is there any advice for finding suitable spaces in our own communities?" That, that's that's a really good question because to do food production or a project like this, the, your first hurdles land, isn't it? It's space. And it really is just take it where you can find it. I mean, we we spent a lot of time kind of cycling around and trying to identify those little spots that are unused. But you go trying to like trace back to like whose land is it, you know, what, what what's kind of going on with it. Um, and then you get into like the gray area of like which kind of players you're gonna engage with. So um, let's say for example, you find out it's a bit of land that belongs to the council. You might think, oh, brilliant, council not using this. But in the past, we found really amazing spots to do a garden project, told the council about the land. The council gone, oh, we didn't know we owned that. And the next thing you know is the council started developing on it and they said, cheers for letting us know. You'd be like, ah, you know. But then in terms of like starting off small, in permaculture, we always say start off small, small and effective rather than large and ineffective. And you can just start with your street outside, you know, just build a planter box, just get something growing. Because even if you just grow like a few plants, you might think, ah, oh, there's only like four cabbages, you know, what's the point? But each one of those cabbages, if you let them go to seeds, then you end up with thousands of cabbages seeds. Then you've got potentially thousands of cabbages. And so it's like these kind of small steps you can take with it. And collaborate as well. I mean, quite often um, you got community centers or uh, even even like bars and clubs and things like that, they've got unused spaces where actually, you know, if you make the offer, like I want to start something, but I want to do it with your members and I want to kind of like skill share and it's not, a thing that creates profit for myself or it's not a thing that yeah. benefits myself um people tend to be quite receptive to it i mean we, we have to turn down quite a lot of um requests for us to come and do garden projects in places mm. um so just, just just get involved in your community whatever it is you yeah. like doing join join a union that's what i always recommend people do yeah. very very diverse and dynamic spaces I learned of the existence of this through manchester tenants union which me and dan are in so there you go yeah. Yeah, join in. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. And I think I think it's just it's just like just give it a go, isn't it? I mean I mean that you use what you've got. You know, permacles is all about using what you've got. And if you've only got your own house at home, you've got windowsill, yeah. don't you? So just get mm-hmm. things thrown on the windowsill and you start learning then. 
Then someone will come yeah. around and be like, man, that's a great basil plant. I grow this. You just you start stopping your little cuttings. You start getting more kind of stuff. Um, allotments can be quite good. I mean, we, we did get thrown up. We did get evicted from our allotment eventually. Um, kind of going back to uh, what uh, Timothy was saying before about um, this kind of um, older generation being quite protective over their gardens. Allotments are not a peaceful place. Um, they're more <laughs> like a war zone. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were involved in kind of a three-year war on our allotment site until uh, they eventually oh. bulldozed our garden and we moved. But if you can find oh, a good allotment site, that's that, that's also that, that's all we started from was an allotment as well. So mm. just, just, just ask around. Um, go go see your councillors, whether you like them or not. You know, they they, they might have a bit of information for you, and um, definitely pop into places like uh, religious institutions. Uh, you don't have to agree with the religion, but they are, they are essentially like the original community centers. So if you go to like mosques or like Sikh temples or things like that, you normally receive really nicely. And also there'll be a whole like kind of um, wide amount of people that will be able to support you in some kind of way. So just get a bit of knowledge of your area. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a broader issue I think we have with the online left is that there's a lot of like staunch atheism and like actually, you know, you don't have to, it's... Even if you're just even if you're just avoiding Christianity because that's the one you have a big problem with, like community sp- like religious institutions are community spaces. And like if I mean if you are, you know, in, in the UK, for example, and you're you know, and you're like striking churches off your list, like you just you, you keep on saying like mosques and like you know, like these are these are not just community spaces, but they're community spaces of marginalized people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, cool. Well, we've got another one here from um, Osimo Grieb, uh, and they want to know, what's the best or most available medium you use to fill raised garden beds on a budget? Oh, technical question. Here. Oh, we, we, we could definitely, uh, Tom, you can answer that one. So this is, we've got really recent experience of doing this ourselves as oh, well. Nice. I'm saying it because it's a sim- similar technique to one that we use in the garden as well called Hugel beds or hugel culture which means like a mound bed or like a hill bed so to make up the layers at the bottom a lot of the bottom the initial material you put in the box you want it to be the thickest and biggest so we're talking logs we're talking thick pieces of wood you want to put that at the bottom because they're going to take the longest to decompose over time they're also wood is really good at retaining water as well so the wood at the bottom will absorb all the water that gets poured in or put into the planter box and it'll store it at the bottom but then building up your materials if you actually alternate between green organic materials and brown organic materials like brown leaves and green leaves you're actually increasing like the reactiveness so always make smaller layers as you're going up because as you can imagine different things are going to react better together rather than being like big clumps so I'd say logs and sticks at the bottom, but then also make a mix up of green and brown organic material and then just have the, the first, you know, what's that, like 10, 15 centimetres needs to be soil. The whole oh, plant wow. doesn't need to be soil at all. You will get the disadvantages that I will give you. It will droop or drop over time as like mm. the wood and the organic material break down. It will sink a bit, but you can just put a bit more compost on the top all the time. But mm. that's a favorite solution so far you see to, to, to fill a planter box it's actually really expensive especially yeah. if you're buying soil from like b&q or any, any yeah, of these yeah. bags and bags just to just bear in mind that b&q in these places are con artists and everything they say that you need to grow isn't actually true it's just designed for you to keep on going back and buying more stuff for mm. like um 
essentially like you kind of need like almost like half a ton of soil to fill some of these big planter boxes and if you're buying that individually that's going to cost like 100 pounds to do so the thing is you make your own soil soil is just organic material that's decomposed yeah. so you just put all the organic material into the box and yeah some soil mm -hmm. on top but so make soil and really these days making soil is probably the smartest thing you can do you know we've talked all about producing food but yeah. actually, we didn't, we didn't actually mention the fact that it's all about soil health, isn't it, by doing it? Mm. Just, just, fill up, just fill up with crap, isn't it? It's... Get your materials for free. Go walking around for sticks and twigs and logs. and Yeah, yeah. And collect dried leaves. and Looking at everyone's green bins. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our garden's yeah. in the middle of the park, so if we ever need anything, go for a walk around the park. We always find it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about making your own soil. So nice. about five years ago or something, maybe longer, I've never really been much of a plant guy, um, but I got a plant as a present and I've had it for years and it was dying. And, and I thought I better start fucking looking after this. It's like a spider plant, you know? Um, and I'd, I always seen at my grand's cause my grand loves doing gardening and stuff. She had that stuff, blood, fish and bone. I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. I assume it is just blood, fish and bone. Yeah. Um, and so what I thought would be smart was to put a lamb bone in my plant pot. But what happened was just a lot of maggots and flies. <laughs> and that's all that happened. So little learning moment for everyone here that you, I've done it. So you don't have to do, um, just do vegetable stuff. Don't try any of that. What I did, that was silly. I didn't think it through. Um, so there you go. That's, that's, that's how that happened. Thank you. Mule. Yeah, you, you're welcome. You. Uh, next question that we've got is from Harker the Storyteller. Hello, Harker. Uh, oh, they you. ask, how does the collective manage uh, safety and conflict in the organization? I think that's a good question. That, that, that's an absolutely fantastic question. That, that's actually far more important than uh, growing a plant, isn't it? You, you can learn how to grow a plant, but, you know, learn how to manage yourselves and your interaction. I mean, that, that, that's really been like a big uh, learning journey. Yeah kind of over the years, actually. And the, the, the way, the best thing to do, this, this is why we regard ourselves as a non-hierarchical member-led organization, because as soon as you have kind of like top-down hierarchy, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you have to make decisions. And when you make decisions, you can't always please everyone all the time. So you might be stuck between a rock and a hard place, really. Someone asks you to do something or wants to do something. If you say no, it's going to upset them. If you say yes, it's going to upset someone else. So how do you kind of balance that? So the best way to actually avoid conflicts in the first instance, which is always the better way to do it, is to ensure that everyone has like an equal opportunity to make these decisions. And so anything that's kind of done within the project, we can kind of say, well, that didn't go very well, but it was your decision to do that. So instead of it becoming a conflict, it's a learning process instead. I mean, in permaculture, one of the uh, kind of catchphrases is there's no such thing as a problem, only a solution. And so if you kind of get like the good attitude kind of going with things, and so after like, oh, of course we have conflicts and of course things like do, do go wrong. Um, but all we have is a very vague set of principles. So as, as I mentioned before, you know, you have to respect each other. Uh, you have to have good communication with each other and uh, everything has to be equal. And if you feel like one of those principles has been violated in some kind of way, then you're very much within your right to flag that up. And um, so what we then have is like a few of us, especially quite the older members or the directors, you know, they will be responsible for that safeguarding. And what we'd really like to first of all is have some kind of mediation, you know, can, can, can this be resolved uh, kind of first and foremost? And if it can't be resolved, and then we'll kind of think about the action. And 
conflicts kind of stem from quite like a big kind of like spectrum, really, kind of like ranging from someone that's been annoyed that, I don't know, Davey got an extra Brussels sprout to um, someone being quite seriously harassed, uh, for example. And so how you kind of deal with that, the best thing to do is to deal with it with as many of you being involved in the resolution as possible, I take away the individualism of responsibility for things. Um, you have to really make sure that the invitation to the, the, the space being safe is made at the beginning, really. Uh, re retrospective safeguarding isn't really that ideal. Um, so try and avoid, well, we'll try and make sure that the system's set up to kind of be as beneficial to people as possible uh, before it happens. But you're just going to have a good attitude. Like we say, it has to be about cooperation. And when you kind of like, really hit that home you know if you join a housing co-op if you join the squat things like that you've got your memorandum you've got the kind of thing saying if you're going to become a member these are the things you're going to agree to we feel that we have very little rules compared to most places and there's a big element of trust that we do with people um but it's a bit that kind of thing that you know you can self-manage you know if you have conflicts you can deal with things yourself um if it's too serious then you know it's a different kind of approach to things but it's a case by case basis just be nice to each other. That is a very good answer. Um, this is from Goblin Hugger. They say, as far as community learning goes, do you ever have any difficulty teaching people about how plants work and how to grow food? Any advice from the teaching aspect, really? Oh, really? That's a good question. Yes, <laughs> initially I'd say, because you're never going to know the name of every single plant. And there is a lot of... So the most common thing is people just come up to you with a little plant or some green leaves and say, what is it? Do you know what this is straight away? Do <laughs> you get better with being in the same garden or the same space? Become familiar, I'd say. Um, a good thing with, just to mention permaculture again, but kind of one of the like the things with permaculture, you talk about observing the space at first before you do anything at all, just observe the space. So I think we've become, that's become a key tool for our learning in there because at the start of any like gardening sessions or volunteer sessions, we'll go around the space with everyone and observe it, talk about what we see, what's changed, what's there that wasn't before and make yourself, almost train yourself to see the ground differently, what's growing differently, what's growing you haven't seen before and to actually and this is where the group thing and having a group of you to talk between yourselves. I think always in a group environment to bounce the questions around to different people, to make everyone taste it, make everyone smell it, make everyone look at the shape of the leaf. It's just this, yeah, great thing. It's, having a it's, there, it's really yeah. enjoyable, isn't it? I, I think that the um, in terms of like teaching or making sure that people, people learn is everything has to be participatory. We're, we're, we're not really into uh, PowerPoints or... Um, or speeches, you know, the, the ideas that everyone contributes. And with that, it's an element of respect because people who you're teaching, you have to bear in mind with teaching, there's a power dynamic there again, isn't there? Like you have knowledge, other person doesn't. And that's quite dangerous because actually the people that you're teaching probably know a lot of really interesting things that you don't really kind of think about or don't see from that kind of perspective. So ensuring that your sessions are very um, kind of two-way, you know, it's not an opportunity for you to teach, it's an opportunity for you all, for you all to co-learn together and I, that, that's how we run that's how we run the workshops and the spaces and, and also it gets you out of trouble if you don't know the name of the plant because you're just like well it's not my responsibility to know name the plant it's a fucking tell me i love that shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is actually so based i love that nice. <laughs> okay uh, the next question is from 
Max Alaria, who's watching on YouTube, and I have been neglecting the YouTube chat, so oh, shout out to we the YouTube chat. That. I'm Hello literally the only host in the stream. fucking YouTube chat. I'm oh, holding wow. it down. What Hi, the everyone. Fuck? Um, and Max Alaria said, do they have any harvest preservation? How do they handle a large abundance of a crop? Oh, great question. Loving the questions, guys. The, when we have uh, the technical term we use, when you have too much of one thing, is called a glut. And a glut's very problematic because you've got a very short self, uh, shelf life, you know, on, on what you're producing. And this is the biggest problem when we do, when we talk about the surface project, we also do what's called gleaning. Um, so this, this is like an ancient rite of the, of, of the poor, is to go out and collect anything off the farmer's fields that they don't use. And that right still exists. But in, in, in reality, we actually speak to the farmer. We phone him and say, can we come on the field? We don't go on. But, but technically you could. And what we're talking is like hectares and hectares of crops. Is going to get plowed back into the land. We should have thought about this more, actually. But so what you end up with, you know, for example, we get a phone calls saying, uh, Dan, Tom, there's 52 hectares of cabbages. Can you come and get them? And I don't know if you've ever seen 52 hectares of cabbages, but, you know, it's a lot of cabbages. That's a and, lot of cabbages. Yeah, yeah, you know? and then, I've never in, seen a in, single in, hectare of ca- cabbages. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's crazy, man. And, and kind of like I might have seen half a hectare at most. Yeah, right. Trying to vision 52. And the um, the farmer says to us, I can't sell these cabbages because the supermarket won't take them. And we say, why is that? And he says, well, it's too much of a good year. And the cabbages have grown unexpectedly big. And we say, well, isn't that a good thing? And he says, well, no, because now they don't fit inside the plastic packaging. And I say, well, why don't you just not put in plastic packaging? And he says, well, we're locked into a contract with the plastic packaging manufacturer. And we can't change the size. And if we default on the contract, then the financial penalty would um, bankrupt us. And so what you're looking at is 52 hectares. And even worse, the farmer has to now buy in 52 hectares of cabbages from another farmer who has slightly smaller cabbages, right? So in terms of like preservation, this is a huge thing in the project. So we can never have enough glass jars, right? We can never have enough glass jars. And if if anyone's watching this, yeah, if you have any kind of glass jars, we need we always kind of need them. And um, so like drying processes, uh, fermentations, jams, uh, it's kind of going back to the old the old, the old ways. You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, having it, absolutely. And th- these things you just learn as you go along. You know, you, you'll have, I don't know, um, we make a lot of cider, like a wine, things like that, if you like to drink. Um, yeah, there's a medicinal form of uh, preservation. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, you just can't you just can't make it up as you go along with things like preservation. I mean, um, storing seeds is really important. Um, if you don't want to keep on buying, saying again about living outside of the capitalist system. I mean, even like people who produce seeds for sale, they're still capitalists. They're just selling something nice. But you know, things with seeds that you collect them yourself. Um, so you dry them. We can't dry them in a polytunnel. Um, herbs. We grow a lot of herbs. Um, we grow them too. A uh, little tip for growing herbs: it's all about ventilation, not heat. Don't use heat to preserve them. Uh, use ventilation. So don't try them in direct sunlight or by like uh, fires. You want to have this free flowing air kind of going through places. Ah. Um, but p- people are really welcome to like, you know, message us privately. You know, if anyone needs any help doing any kind of growing or anything like that, we're very responsive over um, Instagram or, or WhatsApp or Facebook or I don't know what we use, whether we use uh, internet. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, dope and, and i think that just really goes to show as well how important it is 
to you know have something like the Gaskell Garden Project or just any kind of food power reclamation project because think about so obviously chat is probably finding it really hard to visualize what 52 hectares is um but i think it's like 20 football fields or some shit do you know what i mean like maybe not 20 maybe like five but like it's massive and like that amount of fucking cabbages imagine all that going to waste and you might not think oh well i want to eat cabbage but you know it's food for people who may not otherwise yeah you know it's food for people who may not otherwise have been able to eat and they are prevented from eating because the apparently the contract states that they need to be plastic wrapped so you know again more examples of capitalism just being according to this website that i just found 52 hectares is actually 97 football fields 97 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's (laughs) fucking massive okay we have one final question because i'm 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 conscious of not keeping the boys on for too long yeah um (laughs) past 11 p.m uh half a laptop asked any recommended sources to avoid introducing uh, invasive earthworms for one example? Uh, brackets. It's come up in my area. Ooh, okay. Oh, right. Cool, cool. Which which area of the world is that? Dude? Uh, I believe we, half said, a laptop but... is USA, and I okay. want to say West Coast, but I'm not entirely okay. certain. They're in the chat, though, so they should get back to us fairly well, the, certain the, to specify. The great, the great, the great thing about permaculture or, or the kind of term of use for this it's like it's all about creating blueprints that apply in your specific kind of circumstances and also it's really interesting so if you're going to learn how to grow um buying like books on growing and things like that are only useful to a certain extent because they don't know the specifics of where you are and what you're actually yeah. doing so it might say like you know um growing coriander sandy soil but you think well i don't have sandy soils so why am i reading this in the book so this is what you were saying again about observation first of all it's really getting to know like what you've kind of got to do and obviously you want to try and grow native things as much as possible and that's you know that, that interlinks to a lot of things but mostly because of your biodiversity and the nature surrounding you uh it's more used to it it's more beneficial so like the, the uk bees for example will thrive on uk plants if you start introducing you know, a lot of things which aren't from this country, it kind of it creates an imbalance in the system. And yeah. um, just be careful where you're sourcing things from as mm-hmm. well. It's kind of like the fun thing in this kind of project where we try and take as much waste products, as much free things as possible. But you do actually have to kind of check where it comes from too. Mm-hmm. And we, we got offered 40 IBCs, which are like these water storage containers. We thought, brilliant, we'll make this kind of like, you know, raised garden with these things. And when we got them, we realized they'd been used to store uh, hydrochloric acids. And when it's kind oh, of like, wow. Yeah, I'm not really into that. So not ideal. Yeah, so ask 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 questions. Always be suspicious if someone's too keen for you to take something off them. Yeah, if someone phones you up and says, "Hey, you definitely got to come and take all the stuff. It's going to be great." <laughs> you know, check it out first because I'm normally trying to get rid of something. Uh, cool. That's fantastic. So we have a last question, <laughs> which isn't from the chat, but is kind of a thing we ask everyone. Our chat are kind of SWATs. They love uh, being given homework. Um, They really like if guests can give them like a next step to go and do something in the real world if they if they want to. Yeah, if they've been really inspired by you talking. And I think our chat has been pretty inspired by you talking. So can you give our chat some kind of homework, a next little thing if they're interested that they could go do? Gorilla gardening. Gorilla gardening. Gorilla gardening. Okay. 
the, the, the gorilla garden is going to solve your problems of yeah. not having land because you might be thinking that oh cool i really want to do some growing but i don't have anywhere to grow it's going to take you ages and the next couple of months you're going to like still thinking about it and you're not going to find a bit of land and you're going to get a bit disempowered you're not really going to care then it's gone past the point to grow any seeds so there's going to be a whole of a year the next year you're also not going to have land and the next you know it's five ten years you haven't grown anything so just grow something and just plant it somewhere you're not supposed to Walk a bit of grasslands. Yeah, and send us, okay. send us a photograph if you do it. Like, if you do it somewhere, <laughs> really cool. Send us a picture of it. And we'll yeah, send you a picture back of where we've done it too. Oh, that is rad. I'm oh, very into that. Okay, that's very yeah. good homework. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's been a fantastic chat. Thank yeah, you. Before, thank before you, you go, right. really is, there any, is there anything that you two want to plug? Any websites, any Instagrams or anything like that? Um, I mean, we've we've got a website. Um, I think it's, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Um, we've got Instagram and we've got Facebook. And if if, if people just want to just message us if you want any information about anything. I mean, we run workshops on all these kind of things, and you know, or or invite us somewhere. You know, we, we travel. We're in, we do quite a lot of festivals during the summertime. Uh, in, in the UK, that is, you know, like Shambhala and the Eden Festival in the North and things like that. So if you're UK based, there might be opportunities to meet us not in Manchester. We do move around a little bit, too. Um, so just, just messages, just messages and, and just kind of be part of it. And um, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just thanks. Well, awesome. thanks so much. Yay. All right, guys. It's been yeah, lovely. Thank you, Tommy. Yeah. All right. Really All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> All right, um, that's uh, that's Dan and Tommy from the Gaskell Garden Project. What a lovely episode. Um, God, that was so based. It looks like next week we're going to be having, um, I'm not forgetting the, the plugs we're going to do after this, but uh, that looks like next week we're going to be having Maya, uh, who we mentioned at the start of the show, who uh, <laughs> leaked the no-fly list. I... Um, I just I just messaged so her on Twitter while the episode was going on. Um, as happens when uh, people are transgender, she already followed me, so she's coming on the show. That would be pretty fucking cool. Uh, yeah. shout, out to, shout out to Conrad who does amazing hard work. Uh, you know, I, I sent a Twitter DM. He's actually doing all the like work here. Um, speaking of Conrad and all the hard work mm-hmm. he does and keeping him fed with delicious gruel. Um, we have a Patreon. <laughs> it's, called... Gruel. <laughs> it's called Patreon.com. It's at Patreon.com, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. And if you go there, Mule, you yes. can get all sorts of tasty rewards. Not gruel like Conrad gets, but different rewards. Uh, what's, the, what's the first ones that people could get? That's right. For just two pounds a month, you can get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. Benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you're helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, and access to the Red Planet Discord. I like how immediately allergic... (laughs) Kira is like immediately allergic to Mule's podcast voice. I love that so much. Um, Kira, what about... Do you... (laughs) Is that an American? Are you trying to do it yeah. an American? Uh, British Kira, want? can you tell us about the next tier of the Red Planet Patreon? Yeah, I lo- I'd love to. All right, Goblin <laughs> Mode. $10 a month. <laughs> Everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Huh? What's so funny? <laughs>
I'm doing my. I'm doing my. Podcast. I feel like my eyes are going to pop out on my feet. Really good. <laughs> Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode. I can't. I said. I said of cool red planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that and access to exclusive red planet discord hangouts. Uh-huh. So you get this you get this exclusive hangouts and then you get the stickers. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Tim, in your best uh British person episode. doing an American accent voice, uh what's the what's the tier? <laughs> I can't even have? I can't even say Nottingham. Not Nottingham. It's <laughs> Nottingham. 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 You got it. Sl- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just do it normally because I can't do it that shit. Okay. <laughs> All right, to beast mode, which is New Zealand $38 a month. I'm not sure how much that is in um in great British pounds, American <laughs> dollars, and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, holy shit, are you actually gonna go beast mode? Well. Then we can mm-hmm. offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yep, pin badges where your excellent new Red Planet pin badge is everywhere. It is completely cool and good to do. And um, yeah, this also includes Discord benefits. So you get to be a member of the Discord that we uh, um, that we set up recently. And yes, tangible goods. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there's there's more tangible <laughs> goods. Incredible. Um, um, so, do you want to tell us about? Sicko mode. Sure. So sicko mode. I'm doing. I'm doing Kira's British voice. Um, <laughs> for uh, yes, freedom dollars a month, or as ninety four pounds sterling, you can you can go sicko mode. And if you do that, yours. If, if you support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers. Plus. <laughs> A very like special a, like, thank you message at the end of every stream, just like this. Goblin Games NZ. Oh, that's sick that is. Thanks for supporting us <laughs> and being a sicko. Thanks. Right. Oh, you're like oh, you're brilliant. In Bloodborne, when you go to like a window and there's like someone inside that is like, <laughs> go away. <laughs> keep away. Keep away. <laughs> that's exactly. Um, what just, a briefly, just, like. just a briefly mention the um the patreon has a next goal um to get an editor if we get an editor we're going to be able to do a lot of documentary stuff uh i'm realizing that gaskell garden project could be a place we go film at and do some little documentary content so if you yeah, want to see the rhubarb. garden the actual if you want to hear that rhubarb growing Get us to that next goal, and then we can we can get an editor, and that's that'll be on the way. And so, I've been really meaning to visit the UK because I want to visit both of y'all. So that'd be oh, really good. Oh, oh, Kara, that would be amazing. That would be yeah. so nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we on, are we're at four seventy of eight eight seven point two four is the goal. I, it's all clearer in dollars. I know that it's, <laughs> it's all very understandable and easy in dollars. How anyway, do I change my Patreon to show dollars rather than pounds? How do I do that? How do I go find your links, Mule? That's what I want to know. Well, thanks for asking that, Sophie. What you do is you go to DJ Mule. That's DJ M U E L on everything uh, uh, other than. 
Instagram, which is DJMU3L. Uh, B-Rat's got it all in the chat. Look at that. That's great. Apart from the most important one, which is my Patreon. I got a new video coming out. Uh, be better, B-Rat. Very, very, very soon. Yes, be better, B-Rat. Thank you, Kira. Um, and uh, it's going to be really, really good. It's about how a, a, a manga that lots of very, uh, you know, sort of straight, cis, white guys who are edgy and don't really go outside much think is very, very cis and het and white and edgy is actually really quick. So that's what it's about, and it's really, really good, and you're going to enjoy it. If you want to learn more, get on my Patreon, give me money. But if you want to give money to Sophie from Mars, where where would I do that? Wow. Well, you, uh, you, Sophie from Mars are the words that you would need to know, and you type them into all of your favorite and least favorite uh, social media websites, either Sophie from Mars or one word, or Sophie F- underscore FRM underscore Mars. Uh, just like Mule said, Patreon is the most important one. I make video essays on YouTube. I just made one about Ye and all his anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to make one about Alex Jones and oh, his incredible brain very soon. Um, if you want to see my videos early, you can give me $2 or more than $2 on patreon.com slash Sophie from Mars, all one word. Um, also just if you like for me to live, like if you just like me living and eating food, like that would be cool. Please give me money. Um, but you know who else you should feed food to is Tim. 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 I have, like literally, or even better, like a mother bird feeding a baby bird. <laughs> yeah. If someone that wants to mean... vomit food into your mouth, Tim, where can they go online? Um, your tin head, but, or where'd you, would yeah, you call yeah. them? If you're real heads. Yeah. yeah. If you're yeah. a forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Real foreheads. Um, you can uh, find me at on uh <laughs> youtube and uh twitch as conquest of dread but dread conquest over on twitter where all the um where all the shit posting happens um yeah that's it um what about what about my good friend kira chats well me uh you can find me at kira chats everywhere everywhere uh and check out my socials because that is much uh, a big part of what i'm doing i just released a very uh spicy and i cannot go into detail about what it contains video on my socials last night so check it out uh you will be very very happy that you did (laughs) you will be wink uh, so yeah, Kira Chats everywhere (laughs) and follow me on twitter because i'll do like a lot of announcing stuff there so yeah. yeah Incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, so, we're all going to go talk serious business about how the show is made and have very hardcore discussions about which kind of gruel Conrad gets to eat from now on. Um, <laughs> it's going to be really serious. <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.